Neil, God. Several days ago, I commented briefly on some recent statements that have been made by some members of Congress about Iraq. And it's important to make this point at the outset. The President of the United States purposely misled the American people on pre-war intelligence. American soldiers and Marines serving in Iraq go out every day into some of the most dangerous and unpredictable conditions. These brave Americans were sent into battle for a deliberate falsehood. Pre-war information was distorted to corrupt the oil for food program. There is no denying that the President lied to the American people. This is revisionism of the most corrupt and shameless variety. It's also something I enjoy. It's one of the reasons I've stayed in the business, and I believe the feeling is probably the same for most of us in public life. The President and his administration hate our country and hate the liberties for which we stand. They dwell in the shadows, have no regard for the laws of warfare, and feel unconstrained by any standard of morality. The President of the United States is dishonest and reprehensible, and none of us should want it any other way. Absolutely. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, it's a breakfast right here. A little refreshing honesty there from Dick. Anyway, somebody faxes this in. Who keeps sending me this Wayne Madsen report? But don't stop. Yeah. Well, I Googled uh, Wayne Madsen. He's an investigative journalist based in Washington, D.C. I see. He says, informed sources in Tallahassee have told WMR, Wayne Madden re Madsen report, that fat-ass Governor Jeb Bush was fully aware of ex-representative Mark Foley's conduct with underage male pages, but sat on the information to protect Foley and another top GOP Florida official, Attorney General Charlie Chris Gay, who is currently running for governor to replace Bush. Today, Bush said, this meaning yesterday, he hadn't previously known about Foley's behavior with the pages before being informed by House Speaker fat-ass Denny Hastert in a letter dated October 1st. Bush said he was dismayed and shocked to learn about Congressman Foley's unacceptable behavior. Oh, my God. However... Says Wayne Madsen, according to our Florida sources, the FBI and Justice Department informed the Florida Governor's Office, Attorney General Christ and the Florida AG Child Protection Cybercrime Unit at least a year ago about Foley's predatory emails and Internet messages. WMR was told that Chris' conflict of interest in the case stems from Chris and Foley's involvement in gay sex parties, gay. some of which took place during 2003 in Friendly Coconut Grove. No, I don't believe that for a second. Do I? Yes. No. Well, nobody wants to listen to me. I tried telling them for a long time. About, of course, I didn't know about the emails. But then again, Miss uh, Drudge says, yeah. the Eggman says, it's the kid's fault. <laughs> cuckoo kachoo. Cuckoo kachoo, it's the Eggman with egg on his puss. God, you are such a you silly queen, Matt. But anyway, moving right along. Here's some of, Let's get that bad news from Iraq right out of the way. And you notice how all this stuff has gotten Iraq off the uh, news and off the, everything. What Iraq? First, we had that shooting, that Amish deal. And then, of course, we got Mark Foley with the... Uh, all kinds of salacious emails and uh, instant messages. A suicide bomber unleashed a blast in Baghdad fish market today and two or yesterday, and two Shiite families were found slain north of the capital as violence across Iraq claimed at least 52. So mark that down for yesterday. 52? Not bad. The U.S. military, meanwhile, announced the deaths of nine more soldiers and two Marines in what's been a deadly period for American forces in Iraq. The announcement brought to at least 15 the number of service members killed in fighting since Saturday, and this was yesterday. Four of the soldiers were killed in Baghdad on Monday in separate small arms fire attacks. Another four killed the same day in a roadside bomb attack in their patrol northwest of Baghdad. The ninth died Sunday when his vehicle was struck by a roadside bomb west of the capital. Other than that, everything is just hunky-dory. Oh, we're fine. As Bob Schieffer would say. By the way, I've never turned that bitch back on again. Which one? On CBS News. Oh, that bitch. 
Never turned yeah, it back on. You're not missing anything. Have no interest. I've seen it like once since then. Here's our poll result from yesterday. Which best describes Miss Mark Foley? Pedophile, 526. Now, let's see. Was it the booze or was it the fact that he was molested by a priest as a child? Uh, what a combination. Will be, you what will what? be the excuse du jour this afternoon? Be, obviously, these two aren't flying. Nobody's buying these two. There'll have to be something else. I, mean, I guess the devil made him do it. That's it. Hypocrite, 486. Pervert, 203. Great Republican, 182. <laughs> Crazy Fag, 147. Stupid, 111. Who's Mark Foley, 81? 4.3% of our audience doesn't have a TV set. Old Troll, 52. A merry old troll? He said, don't call me merry. Horny, 22. I hate this poll. Only 16. That's 0.8%. Oh. That's like the number they have at night across the street. Desperate, 16. And Careless, 13. Out of 1,855 votes. Democrats lead in races for 11 of 15 crucial Republican-held U.S. seats in the House a month before the elections, November 7th. Let's see, yesterday was uh, Tuesday the 3rd, so it's like five weeks from yesterday is Election Day. Putting the Democrats within reach of seizing control of the chamber, according to Reuters, I'll be polls released today. Republican incumbents are in particularly high risk, the polls found, with seven of nine trailing their Democratic challengers in the high-stakes battle for control of the U.S. Congress. But Ms. Judd, uh, the Eggman, will come up with something. You'll see. It'll either be about Catherine Harris, and there'll be something come out. Now, this is this is a classic example of your hard, your hard tax dollars hard at work, or somebody was hard. Former Congressman Mark Foley interrupted a vote on the floor of the House in 2003 to engage in Internet sex with a high school student who had served as a congressional page, according to new Internet instant messages provided to ABC News by former pages. Hmm. ABC News has now obtained 52 separate instant message exchanges, which former pages say were sent by Foley using the screen name MAF54 to two different boys under the age of 18. This message was dated April 2003 at approximately 7 p.m., according to the message timestamp. Now, am I going to read this on here again like yesterday, and you're going to give me on all yeah, kinds of come time? on now. Foley, I miss you. Teen, yeah, me too. Foley, we're still voting. You miss me too? The exchange continues in which Foley and the teenager both appear to describe having sexual orgasms. Foley, okay, I better go vote. Did you know this? Uh, you would have this effect on me? Teen, laugh out loud, I guessed. Teen, you go vote. I don't want to keep you from doing your jo our job. Foley, can I have a kiss goodnight? Teen, how do you spell? Well, you have to see it. Just like it sounds. Oh. The House voted that evening on H.R. 59, Emergency Wartime Supplemental Appropriations. This is for the war in Iraq. Mm -hmm. But, of course, Ms. Foley had to interrupt that vote on the floor of the House to go uh, take care of business. Another, according to another message, Foley also invites the teen and a friend to come to his house near Capitol Hill so they can drink booze. Well, he did have a drinking problem. Maybe just he just didn't have enough drinking buddies. But buddies. Teen, are you going to be in town over the Veterans Day weekend? Foley, I may not, I may be now that you're coming. Who are you coming to visit? Teen, haha, good stuff. No, no one really. Foley, we'll be adjourned by then. Teen, oh good. Foley, by then we can have a few drinks. Foley, laugh out loud. Teen, yes, yes. Foley, you're not old enough to drink. Teen, shh. Foley, okay. Teen, that's not what my ID says. Teen, laugh out loud. Foley, okay. Teen, I probably shouldn't be telling you that, huh? Foley, we may need to drink at my house so we don't get busted. As if he didn't know that he was underage to begin with. Right. So what's worse, the fact that he wants to do a little a number on this kid or the fact he wants to booze him up a little bit? Huh? Well, you if know. He wants to booze him up first a little bit and then... See what develops. Uh oh, a suicide truck uh, bomber attacks Iraqi Army headquarters in Ramadi just in. Um, certainly not News Network. Oh, boy. Carolyn looks so depressed. Speaking of all this uh, hanky spanky going on, 
A secret document which sets out a procedure for dealing with child sex abuse scandals within the Catholic Church is examined by BBC's Panorama. Crimen solicitationis was enforced for 20 years by Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger before he became the Nazi Pope. Crimen solicitationis. It instructs bishops on how to deal with allegations of child abuse against priests and has been seen by few outsiders. Critics say the document's been used to evade prosecution for sex crimes. Crimen, and of course your buddy Bill uh, William Donahue was on one of the talking <laughs> the other day, and his teeth were just, I thought his teeth were going to pop out of his mouth. He was just puking uh. and spitting blood. <laughs> it was written in 1962 in Latin and given to Catholic bishops worldwide who are ordered to keep it locked away in the church safe. It instructs them how to deal with priests who solicit sex from the confessional. It also deals with any obscene external act with youths of either sex. It imposes an oath of secrecy on the child victim, the priest dealing with the allegation, and any witnesses. Breaking that oath means excommunication from the Catholic Church. Reporting for Panorama, Colm O'Gorman finds seven priests with child abuse allegations made against them living in and around Vatican City. One of the priests, Father Joseph Henn, has been indicted on 13 molestation charges brought by a grand jury in the USA. During filming for sex crimes in the Vatican, Colm finds Father Helm is fighting extradition orders from inside the headquarters of this religious order in the Vatican. The Vatican has not compelled him to return to America to face the charges against him. Maybe the Spirit of Christ will compel him to do it. Compel him to do what? Return to the U.S. to face the music. Oh, good. After filming, Father Helm lost his fight against extradition, but fled the headquarters and is believed to be hiding in Italy while there's an international warrant for his arrest. Como Gorman was raped by a Catholic priest in the Diocese of Ferns in County Wexford, Ireland, when he was 14 years old. Oh, sounds like Miss Foley. Father Fortune was charged with 66 counts of sexual indecent assault and another serious sexual offense relating to eight boys, but he committed suicide on the eve of his trial. Combs started an investigation with the BBC in March 2002, which led to the resignation of Dr. Brendan Comiskey, the bishop leading the Ferns Diocese. I think they once named a stadium after that priest, Dr. Comiskey. <laughs> Combs then pushed for a government inquiry, which led to the Ferns report. It was published October 2005 and found a culture of secrecy and fear of scandal that led bishops to place the interest of the Catholic Church ahead of the safety of children. The Catholic Church has 50 million children in its worldwide congregation and no universal child protection policy, although in the U.K. there's the Catholic Office for the Protection of Children and Vulnerable Adults. In some countries, this means that the crimen solicitationis is the only policy followed. The Vatican has refused repeated requests from Panorama to respond to any of the cases shown in the film. Oh, and we missed it. It was shown October 1st, Sunday, October 1 on BBC One. Well, I'll be damned. It'll, it'll be back. Keep, your, keep an eye peeled for it. So between the Catholic Church and now, of course, uh, Miss Foley says he was molested by a, a minister. Well, of course, it has to be a priest since Foley sounds awfully Irish Catholic to me. I like it. That's right. So that must be the excuse. That must be why he's got the hots for 16-year-old pages. Sure, it gives, you a, it gives you a pass, doesn't it? Right. Oh, there she is. John will... Will Foley or the attorney provide any more information, any more background on the uh, allegation of molestation? And, and I guess the follow-up to that is, is he blaming the molestation for his behavior with the pages? Uh, what do you think, emails? schmuck? Answer that first. No, he's not blaming that no. uh, for his behavior with the He's just with putting the it pages. out there but just I can tell as a coincidence. That, uh, you know, here at first blush, the day after these announcements, that a lot of the reaction that's coming out is, it's just not fair. It should not have been handled this way, that if they were going to say that uh, uh, he was molested by a clergyman, that in all fairness, uh, the name should have been, uh, been revealed, uh, and that was not revealed. And uh, Mr. Roth said that he had hoped that uh, Mark Foley would, in 30 days or so, 
himself addressed that right, man. right here again, addressed that issue and shed more light on it. But there were no. Well, problems. let's see the, the drinking thing that didn't uh, that didn't work, and now the uh, mm -hmm. uh, molestation by the priest. I don't think that's working too well. So what do you think it's going to be today? Possessed by the devil. The devil made him do it. That always works. The biggest names, the best talent. Oh, this is Neil Rogers, Sports Radio 560 QAM. Want a lollipop, little boy? Straight off, only the hobo. Absolutely. Another time Republican, more or less queer ho. You fairy. Name neocon had to resign, yeah. Was it worth your career in the Christian blood? Did it feel that bad? to be having two of them, I guess, or better. 1019 at 560 WQM. Let's take a look at that schedule today. we got no games of any kind. Not exciting? Marlins are done. Who won the, uh, I guess the Yankees were at 7-3 when I turned that off last night. Who won that game? I'm yeah, the Yankees won it. Uh, it was disgusting. It was 8-4. Oh, no. Anyway, Mad Dog at 2, the Power Hour with Hank and the Mad Dog together, 4-5. to five. The Humper, Hank Goldberg, 5-7. to seven. The Beast and Jesse. Oh, my God. Between 7 and 10. Eddie K at the 10 o'clock. How'd that uh, Panthers preseason show go with Geldy last night? Anybody hear that? Oh, I'm sorry. Here's today's poll, and thanks to the listener who sent this in. Somebody faxed this in. Uh, if mm -hmm. you could keep your federal tax dollars from being spent on any one item, what would it be? We got 1,135 vote. The war in Iraq, that was my vote, 430. About 30, man. Tax exemptions for religious organizations. I was tempted to vote for that, but no, you can vote for them all. That was my vote. I'm sure it was. Heathen bastard. That's right. Subsidies for energy companies, 147. Matching funds for political campaigns, 79. Foreign aid, 71. Dues to the UN, 34. Public service announcements like just say no or abstinence is best or keep it in your pants, 21. The space program, 21. And national missile defense, solamente 20, only 20. Out of 1,100 plus votes. So thanks whoever sent that in. You can let Eric know that the poll for tomorrow is, uh, it's, you know, there. Okay. Don't want to change it now, but I'm just saying it's there because I'm sure you'll take care of that later on. 
Sure. If I don't make a real uh, sure. early return with wads of money from Woodbine. Whatever you want. Unlikely. A CNN poll released yesterday puts tangible proof to something that most of us already knew, that the majority of the American people are clued in enough to understand that George W. Bush has deliberately misled the nation about how things are going in Iraq. Oh, it's going swimmingly well. Oh, we're well. fine. A September 29th to October 2nd poll commissioned by CNN showed that 58% of Americans said the administration has misled the public about progress in the war in Iraq, and they haven't even read the Bob Woodward book yet. Neither have I. I haven't got it yet. You're supposed to remind me to go get it. Oh, I forgot. Can't go get it today unless I leave now because i got to leave at 2 o'clock for you-know-where. Mm-hmm. The poll also showed that despite ongoing chest-thumping by Team Bush and their ridiculous assertions that they've made Americans safer, most Americans, 57%, also believe the war has made the U.S. less safe from terrorism. Oh, don't tell me the public is getting, like, smart, like Fredo. The poll comes on the heels of the release of Bob Woodward's new book, State of Denial, in which Woodward, don't let me forget to get that. All right. In which Woodward gives evidence that Bush ignored warnings from military officials about the strength of the Iraqi insurgency and the danger posed to U.S. troops and continues to lie about how well things are going there, despite contrary news and opinion from well within his own administration. Now, it's really interesting that the media is in a foaming, feeding frenzy about the Foley thing. And, yeah, and they should be. And did Denny Hastert cover it up? And did any other Republicans lie? And yada, yada, yada. And... Shimkus did this, and Reynolds did that. And, but in the meantime, we've got this war going on based on lies in which thousands of people are dead, and they're like, uh, you know, who cares? Right? Right. What's that got to do with sex and body parts? Well, I'm sure there's a lot of body parts uh, all over the country there. Other poll findings include the following. Opposition to the war in Iraq remains high, with 61% of the public say they are opposing the war. Another recent poll done by CNN that showed that 65% of respondents think Iraq is currently engaged in a civil war. Abe Lincoln would be embarrassed. He'd have egg on his face. <laughs> a lot of egg going around. You know that? I can't stand it. I do like omelets, though. I like yeah. a nice omelet. 66% say they disapprove of the way Bush is handling the situation in Iraq. Of likely voters, 53% say they'll vote for a Democrat congressional candidate next month. 42% say they'll vote for a Republican. And according to this article, it says the most amazing results are those showing Bush's job approval ratings as high as 39%. Uh, Bob Geiger says, I'm still investigating reports that the same genius level, 39%, believe that Jessica Simpson should replace Don Rumsfeld as Secretary, De- Secretary of Defense. you got to say yeah, it right. Secretary. I agree with that. Could she do a worse job? No. At least she put a, a nice face to it. And and, and, yeah, thank you. All of this coupled with recent polling showing that the vast majority of Iraqis want America to leave in their country and astounding results showing 6 to t- in 10 Iraqis favor killing American troops. The best we can get out of the White House and Republican Congress is stay the course, is what it says. Bob Geiger on Smirkling Chimp. 39% approval rating. Should be like maybe, maybe at top it ought to be like 9%. Like, you know, like Robert Griefer, people like that. who are hopeless. Where there's no sense, there's no feeling. That kind of crowd? Sure. Your buddy Doug Thompson has an article here, a column. He says, Good. just a little old-fashioned karma coming around on Capitol Hill Blue. It's got a fairly graphic picture here of two guys with, uh, well... With what? Naked guys in their underwear. I see. From the, from the uh, shoulder down. Mm-hmm. Obviously in a turgid state. I see. At any rate, Doug Thompson says, it's fitting, truly fitting, that the political fortunes of a homophobic party may rest on the actions of a gay sexual predator in that party's midst. Call it some good old-fashioned karma coming around. When it comes to homosexuality, the hypocrisy of the GOP has been waiting in the closet, just waiting to come out and bring the party down. From President George W. Bush's call for a constitutional amendment banning gay marriage to the rabid religious rights claim that homosexuality is a sin requiring eternal damnation, Republicans have always preached intolerance toward gays while looking the other way when it came to one in their midst. For Republicans, the policy has been more than don't ask, don't tell. It was more like if asked, don't admit. 
When I moved to Washington in 1981 to work on Capitol Hill for GOP Congressman Paul Findlay, a dominant political force in town was the National Conservative Political Action Committee, and a NICPAC, headed by the flamboyant Terry Dolan, a closeted gay man whose sexual leanings fell under the category of open secret. Most Republicans and just about everyone else in Washington knew that Dolan was gay. They just didn't talk about it. And in those days, the media looked the other way when it came to sexual preference. Nick Pack openly advocated the anti-gay agenda of the right wing, while Dolan cruised the gay bars of Pennsylvania Avenue. Dolan epitomized the conservatism of Ronald Reagan and the GOP's right wing. Reagan's advanced, advanced the party's anti-gay agenda by cutting funding for research on AIDS. Ironically, Dolan would die of that disease. In 1984, I worked with the National Republican Congressional Committee and found a member of gay men and uh, women working in the party's ranks. At Bullfeathers, a popular Capitol Hill bar near the NRCC headquarters, I asked one gay NRCC field representative why he worked for a party with an anti-gay agenda. I have a mortgage to pay, he said. When Dolan died of AIDS, GOP politicians and operatives expressed public shock at learning of his homosexuality, while some right-wingers like the Reverend Jerry Falwell called Dolan's death punishment from God. Such comments drove Republican gays further underground, but party leaders continued to look the other way when they found a homo in the woodpile, as long as that gay man or woman stayed quiet. A homo in the woodpile. What better place? While a number of gay Democratic politicians uh, publicly embraced their homosexuality, gay Republicans usually stay silent. Those who choose to come out of the closet do so at political risk. Former Representative Mark Foley, who resigned last week in the ever-escalating scandal over his inappropriate and unbelievable behavior toward young male congressional pages, revealed his homosexuality through his lawyer only after leaving orifice. Yet his fellow Republicans knew Foley was gay. They just didn't talk about it or acknowledge the fact as long as the Florida congressman towed the line. Like other Republicans, Foley's hypocrisy knew no bounds. He'd vote for the conservative, often anti-gay Republican agenda, while covertly living as a closeted homosexual. He would sponsor legislation to protect children from sexual predators while he himself stalked teenage pages. When Republican leaders learned about Foley's predatory behavior, they did nothing. They looked the other way because their first instinct is to protect their own no matter the cost. Now the hypocrisy is in the open and the cost may be great to the party of the elephant, and rightly so. The homo in the woodpile. Mm -hmm. and, and from this picture he's got in here in the story, Doug, there's a lot of wood in that pile, too. The biggest names, the best talent. Rock this solid. is Neil Rogers, Sports Radio 560, QAM. God, your breasts are beautiful. New this season on ABC from the producer of Dancing with the Stars. Some people think it dances for sissies, and they're right. It's Drinking with the Stars. Party on, dude! Starring Charlie Sheen. This is so surreal. This is like a sober acid trip. Mel Gibson. Yeah. You think I'm crazy? You call me crazy? You think I'm crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you want to see crazy? <laughs> and Paris Hilton. What color are your nipples? Drinking with the Stars. <laughs> Oh, my God. Sponsored by Jägermeister. And by Miss Foley. Let's go to Mark's place and have a few pops. What do you say? Aye. 1033, 27 before 11 at 560 WQM. Speaking of him, I've only got about 600 Mark Foley stories here. You wouldn't want to hear those, would you? Of course yep, I do. That's yep. all you want to hear about. It's all they want to know from. They don't want to hear about dead people in Iraq. They don't want to hear about lies and wars and stuff like that. As a young teen growing up in Lake Worth, former U.S. Representative Ms. Mark Foley was molested by a clergyman, his attorney announced yesterday, causing adolescent trauma that may have contributed to, but does not excuse, his sexually explicit Internet exchanges with congressional pages. The attorney, David Roth, also declared Mark Foley wants you to know that he is a gay man. Gay. Oh, that's a shock. How many years <laughs> have I been telling you that? About 30, man. The revelations came as the fallout from the Foley scandal and the salacious instant messages and emails he wrote to boys continued to darken the political landscape for Republicans just weeks from midterm elections. Oh, what a shame. 
During a news conference in a rain-soaked downtown West Palm Beach public park, Roth asserted that Foley reiterates unequivocally that he's never had sexual contact with any minor. Any suggestion that Mark Foley is a pedophile is false. Maybe he's just not a successful pedophile. Like. Born into an Irish Roman Catholic family in Newton, Mass., Foley moved to Florida at the age of three and later attended parochial school at Sacred Heart Church in Lake Worth. He was an altar boy and read scripture at Mass. Uh huh. Who could he have been molested by? Certainly wasn't no rabbi. Roth refused to identify the alleged molester's church or religion. <laughs> like, that's, that's a yeah, tough that's one, the religion. Alexis Walkenstein, a spokesman for the Palm Beach Diocese, said, It would be inappropriate for me to comment at this point based on their vague allegations and mere speculation. Oh, Sean is sending some new polls. Thank God for that. Thank you, Sean. He also has a note on here. Did I catch the story the other day about how the Al-Qaeda leadership had written a letter to Abu Musab al-Zarqawi telling him to cut the crap with the tax inside Jordan and other acts which might set, uh, what? Might alienate Muslims. A few months later, the U.S. military suddenly knew exactly where he was and blew his crap away. How do you like that? Mm-hmm. When the guy called your show saying al-Zarqawi's body should be cracked for a freezer burn, I just about spit up my morning espresso. Oh, Sean has espresso in the morning. He must be one of those suits that hangs out at Starbucks. Says, I have a feeling he was embarrassing Al-Qaeda with a video of him fumbling with an assault rifle. Plus, judging by his waistline, it looks like he was more interested in acquiring fudge cake than yellow cake. Is that incredible or what? Incredible. Now, who the hell is Gary Newman? Cars. Oh, Gary Newman of the Cars. Have you ever no, seen John Mark? of the Cars, of the song Cars. That was his big hit. Cars? Gary yeah. Newman? I heard yeah. Alfred E. think he's Ken. Yeah, I don't right. know who Gary you know Newman is. You know You know it well. Tired What's of it. The, what is it? You're tired of it. We all are. Oh. Good song the first 5,000 times. Okay. Well, I don't think I'm going to... Oh, that... Oh, jeez. Oh, you. Okay, now, now, that's enough. I don't ever want to hear that again, please. please. But I didn't know it was no Gary Newman. That's a little eponymous, yes. Yeah, it is. You've got much better songs, but you'll never hear those. No. Oh, there's Miss Foley. I'm that there were these red flags that... Red flags. Let's see. Congressman Foley... Oh, let's see. I already read you this, didn't I? Had cyber sex in the House chamber as others prepared for the war yeah, funding yes, vote. Yeah, I yes. just got through reading that. I was almost ready to read it again. <laughs> uh, can I have a little nighty-night kiss? There you go. Oh, disgusting. Right on the lips. I'm sure I could smell it. I saw that drool, man. Pretty sure it was drool. And the, uh, Donnie Fowler in the Huffington Post writes, Incredibly, Fox News labeled Mark Foley the disgraced Republican Florida child recruiter as a Democrat three different times in two different segments. Mm-hmm. On the right-wing program, The O'Reilly Factor, the video clip of Foley showed him as Mark Foley, Democrat of Florida, rather than the correct designation as a Republican, Mark Foley, R of Florida. Could this truly be an oversight or a mistake? You decide. How do you like that? I already have. Must have been just an accident, just mm-hmm. a coincidence. They're lying the people at Fox would never lie to us or never withhold the truth, although, although Fox News had copies of emails written by Mark Foley to a Louisiana boy but chose not to run the story, according uh-huh. to a passage in an AP report. Morally bankrupt scum. Are you picking on poor uh, Rupert Murdoch again? Sure. Good. Gary, uh, who is it? Gary and the Playboys? Gary yes. Lewis. The FBI has begun an inquiry into Foley's computer contact with Pages and Hastert wrote in a letter to Florida fat-ass Governor Jeb Bush asking for an investigation into whether state laws were broken. I think Jeb's upset that he was left out of those parties with Charlie Crist and your buddy Mark. Meanwhile... Florida newspapers, who were leaked copies of the email with the Louisiana boy last year, defended their decision not to run the stories. Both the unctuous Miami Herald and the St. Pete Times were given copies of the emails, as were other news organizations, including Fox News, the Nazi news network. 
Our decision at the time was that because the language was not sexually explicit and was subject to interpretation from innocuous to sick, as the page characterized it, to be cautious, said that little twerp Tom Fiedler, executive editor of the Herald. Right. Given the potentially devastating impact that a false suggestion of pedophilia could have on anyone, not to mention a congressman known to be gay and lacking any corroborating information, we choose not to do a story. Didn't stop him on Gary Hart and Donna Rice from chasing his ass around and right. ruining his presidential ambitions, did it? Oh, Back in those days of the yellow trench coat. Didn't stop you then, did it, Tommy? Of course, Gary Hart was a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Not that we know the political leanings of the Herald and you fascists over there at the freaking Miami Herald. Should only croak. Have a great day, Tom. Oh, and look at this. Talk about not learning your lessons real fast. Maybe he's a slow learner, Mark. Maybe it's because he was molested by the preacher man. That must have scarred his brain. Congressman Mark Foley was still using the AOL screen name, now associated with attempts to solicit underage boys, according to Ross Story. As recently as 10.50 yesterday morning, users of AOL Instant Messaging were surprised to find Foley signed briefly onto the chat service using the screen name MAF54. <laughs> and there's a picture of the screen here. MAF54 is just signed off. The login was used in now public emails and instant messages with underage boys. And, of course, the Eggman says they were the ones that were coming out of Ms. Foley. That's They're right. the ones. That's right. Those beastie boys. Foley signed on only briefly this morning, yesterday, but has reportedly continued to use the screen name occasionally as the scandal surrounding it unfolds publicly. Blog Active has taken a screen capture of Foley's online status this morning available here, it says. And there's a, a picture of it right there on Raw Story. Pretty raw, I guess. And the mm-hmm. Eggman knows. Man, I think the Eggman is jealous of what's all about. Wouldn't you think? I imagine. I bet he's uh, had a page or two in his time. I'm not talking about congressional page. I heard he was a real page turner. Uh-huh. More like Lana Turner. 1,213 votes. If you could keep your federal tax dollars from being spent on any one of these, which would it be? The war in Iraq, 458. A bloodbath. Lunacy. Tax exemptions for religious organizations, 338. Subsidizing those getchkeys. Subsidies for energy companies, 157. Matching funds for political campaigns, 83. Foreign aid, 75. Dues to the U.N., 40. National missile defense, 22. Public service announcements like Just Say No to Nancy Reagan, 21. And the space program, again, only 21. The biggest names. They like the best challenge. This is Neil Rogers. Force Radio 560. Hey. A stench of cow manure hovers over this performance by the Dolphins. Yeah. Okay, so I uh, googled uh, what's his name, Gary Newman, and there ain't no picture. And really? Probably rightfully so. I'll, I'll send you. I don't want to see no picture, okay, if he looks like John Mark Carr. Like twins. So anyway, speaking of all these closeted Republicans besides Matt Fudge and uh, Condom Lisa and Ann Coulter mm-hmm. and uh, Charlie Crist and up until uh, just the other, up until yesterday, uh, Mark Foley, I just Googled Laura Ingraham. I was wondering about her. You know, she actually was engaged to businessman James Reyes and planned a wedding in May or June of 2005, but she announced in, on April 26th of 2005 she had undergone breast cancer surgery, and as a result, her engagement was canceled. She was also once engaged to conservative author Dinesh D'Souza and dated former New Jersey Senator Bob Terricelli, but had never been married. How old is she? 
I don't know. Let's see. How come we don't have a... Uh, oh, born 64. That makes her 36, 42. Well, I have nothing wrong with that. She's 42 and never been married, right? Okay. Then in the uh, Wikipedia thing here, views on homosexuality. Hmm. According to David Brock in his book, Blinded by the Right, Ingraham, while writing for the Dartmouth Review in the mid-'80s, once attended a meeting of gay student organization for the purpose of publicly outing them in the newspaper. I'm sure that's the only reason she was there. Right. She secretly taped a meeting of the Gay Students Association and published a transcript identifying students by name and calling them sodomites. According to her, however, she attended the meetings to report the newspaper how the money was being spent. Jeffrey Hart, faculty advisor to Dartmouth Review, later wrote in the Weekly Standard, Ingram held the most extreme anti-homosexual views imaginable as an undergraduate that she avoided a local restaurant for fear that gay waiters might touch her silverware or spit on her food, exposing her to AIDS. A decade later, February 23, 1997, however, she wrote an essay in the Washington Post when, in which she announced significant changes in how she views gays and lesbians. This was motivated primarily by the experience of her own gay brother, Curtis Ingraham, rumored to have been estranged from her for a time after the gay student group infamy as he cared for his ailing partner. How do you like that? Mm -hmm. Just an obsession. Obsessed. What is this uh, fax here? It says... Condesleza must be the happiest bitch in the world right now. The country is so focused on the Foley scandal, we're ignoring the more important fact that she has continually lied about the meaning she forgot about, warning us of attacks on the U.S. by George Tennant. Man, I hate her ass since whoever this uh, faxer was. And we, a good thing you didn't put your name on there. They'd come get you. Before noon, your ass would be in a slammer, and by the end of the day, the rest of you might be, too. I started to uh, do this a second ago and didn't do it. Congressional pages involved in the Foley sex messages scandal are receiving threats via emails. This according to Representative Rodney Alexander, a Republican of Louisiana. He sponsored one of the pages who received inappropriate messages from Representative Mark Foley. Alexander explains that he believes he let the page down, saying my job was to do what I could to protect the young man's interest, and I failed. I apologize for that. The parents have had a horrible week. The young man is beginning to get some threats. Aren't you shocked by that? No. Not? No. The media has been aggressively seeking his conversation at school, his home, and that's the most disturbing thing. It's just simply not fair. The young man's gotten caught up in something that he, and he's getting bruised for something he shouldn't be part of. But you know what the Eggman says? He wanted it. Yeah. what he said. These uh, punks, these, uh, what do you call them? You know, now that I think of it, all these children that have been molested, you know, it's their own fault for being so damn sexy. I wanted it. There you go. That's right. If they would have just tried to be as ugly as they That's possibly right. could. they got to dress like the Amish. Oh, I guess that doesn't help much. That doesn't either. help either. Well, of course, there's another guy who was... Uh, and, and, you know, we're waiting to hear this horrible thing that supposedly happened to him 20 years ago. Yeah. That's the excuse for this uh, grotesque, barbaric act that he pulled. And then come to find out he was the uh, rape, rape, raper, not the rapee. Mm-hmm. So that's why he had that... Uh, Cube! And a spare of KY with him. God, and ordered all the boys out of there. I think, uh, you know, because he was having dreams about how much he enjoyed doing it, and he was thinking about doing it again. Mm -hmm. But maybe because of a shortage of time, at any rate. Is Olbermann on thin ice, writes Jeff Cohen on CommonDreams.org. And by the way, I see Keith's uh, numbers are s staggeringly going up. He uh, beat out, what's your name, that bubblehead Paul is on last night. Good. And moving on up. Anyway, Jeff Cohen, which I've read many of his uh, columns before, he's not the uh, pizza guy. He's founder of Media Watch Group Fair and author of Cable News Confidential, My Misadventures in Corporate Media. He says, I fear for Keith Olbermann. Like so many others who hunger for some journalistic independence on TV news, I often marvel at Olbermann's dogged reporting and unique commentary. In a cable news environment of conformity and conservatism, the MSNBC host takes on the Bush administration for demonizing dissent, for abusing our constitutional traditions, for taking cynical advantage of the unanimity and love following 9-11, and transmuting it into a fraudulent war and needless death. 
Only Olbermann talks about Team Bush's monstrously transforming 9-11 unity into fear and suspicion and turning that fear into the campaign slogan of three elections. He was virtually alone on TV news and seriously reporting on 2004 election irregularities in Ohio and exploring the pre-Iraq war Downing Street memos indicating White House deception. In recent months, his prime targets seem to have evolved from softer ones like Bill O'Reilly to bigger game, Bush and his minions. It's worth noting that strong criticism of an extremist presidency hardly makes Olbermann a leftist. I remember him as the whimsical sports guy in ESPN. I remember his first go-round on MSNBC in 98 when he could have sued his bosses for repetitive stress disorder for having to host scores of Lewinsky episodes on the road to Clinton's impeachment, an impeachment that may well have been impossible if not for the complicity of TV news. It's obvious his bosses at MSNBC slash NBC slash GE never envisioned the increasingly bold Olbermann of recent months. It's likely that Olbermann himself could not have foreseen his current role as the lone voice of those who feel assaulted by a cable news business dominated by the O'Reillys and Hannity's. So why do I fear for Olbermann? Because I know his bosses. In the run-up to the Iraq War, I too worked for MSNBC as an on-air pundit and a senior producer on the primetime Donahue show. As I detail in my new book, Cable News Confidential, the suits at MSNBC slash NBC muzzled us and ultimately terminated us. They feared independent journalism and serious dissent. They smeared Bush critics with MSNBC's editor-in-chief actually going on the air without evidence to accuse the Iraq WMD skeptic Scott Ritter of being a paid agent of Saddam Hussein. Olbermann has been gaining an audience ratings that provides him some security, but perhaps not enough. When Donahue was terminated three weeks before the Iraq invasion, it was MSNBC's most-watched program. Canceling your top-rated show doesn't happen often, but it happened to Donahue. Who knows what will happen to Olbermann? With Donahue, management cared less about building up an audience than tamping down dissent. While independent outlets and blogs were soaring an audience by questioning the rush to war, our bosses imposed straitjackets on us that prevented similar growth. In the last months of Donahue, management gave us strict orders. If we booked a guest who was anti-war, we needed two who were pro-war. If we booked two guests on the left, we needed three on the right. When a a producer proposed booking Michael Moore, she was told they'd need three right-wingers for ideological balance. Olbermann's increasingly bold ascent has been occurring at a time when Bush's approval ratings are low and Bush's war is in shambles. That gives him some added security. During Donahue's tenure, tenure on MSNBC, the eve of the war, Bush's popularity was high, and media conglomerates were especially concerned about not ruffling the White House at that moment as they were lobbying hard to get FCC rules changed to allow them to grow still fatter. The day after Donahue was terminated, an internal NBC memo leaked out, said, Phil Donahue represents a difficult public face for NBC at a time of war. Why? Because he insisted on presenting administration uh, critics. The memo worried that Donahue would become a home for the liberal anti-war agenda at the same time that our competitors are waving the flag at every chance. NBC's solution then? Dump Phil, stifle dissent, brandish the flag. NBC's solution now? So far, Olbermann appears to be on much more solid footing, mostly because the political zeitgeist has much changed from four years ago. But MSNBC is still owned by GE's conservative bosses and managed by NBC's ever-timid executives. Olbermann knows this reality as well as anyone. Six months ago on C-SPAN, while expressing confidence that good ratings would keep them at bay, he remarked, There are people I know in the hierarchy of NBC, the company, and GE, the company, who don't like to see the current presidential administration criticized at all. I'm pulling for Olbermann. I'm one of the multitudes who find his commentaries online, perhaps more see them on the web than on TV, and forward them far and wide. But with each new broadside against the Bush administration, I fear for his future. His best security is us, an active citizenry. It's media activism organized heavily on the net. It's media watch groups like FAIR and the Media Matters for America. It's the movement that resisted the FCC changes in 2003, challenged Sinclair broadcast propaganda before the 04 election, and recently exposed the 9-11 hijacking of ABC by right-wing Clinton bashers. In the epilogue of Cable News Confidential, I lauded this movement. My only regret was that such a potent movement hadn't coalesced by 2002 to flex its muscles against MSNBC brass in defense of an unfettered Donahue. 
If Oberman gets muzzled or terminated for political reasons, it'll be up to us to fight, not only for him, but for the concept that without serious dissent, democracy is a sham. What am? Uh-oh, there's your buddy Tony Blair. That was, that was always saw him. What the hell is he babbling about? Something about the IRA said this and the IRA said that. Why doesn't he just go away already? He keeps threatening to go away. He just doesn't want to do Please, it. You know? Do it quickly. Kind of like Greg Reed. You know, he keeps threatening to leave, but uh, the door keeps uh, bumping him on the uh, hip before it hits his ass. <coughs> I was thinking about Greg Reed this morning, you know, about Where this whole, um, yeah, well, in line with that Mark Foley business. Anyway, how many uh, votes we got on the poll? 1260, baby, 1260. Is that WGVA? I better roulette that again. 1056 at 560 QAM. The biggest names, the best talent. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. This is the Neil Rogers Show. This is your brain. Any questions? Coming up tonight on Inside the Behind the True Hollywood Celebrity Music Biography Profile Story. You didn't have to be baked out of your mind to enjoy their mystical progressive rock sound, but it helped. They were Led Zeppelin. Stairway to Heaven, one of the most artfully crafted rock songs of the 20th century, and so layered with meaning. British rock historian Ian McManaring Smythe and Wiggle, in an interview with Led Zepp frontman Robert Plant. First question, Robert. Mm -hmm. There's a lady who's sure all that glitters is gold. And then later, if the stores are all closed, with a word she can get what she came for. It's brilliant. What does it mean? <coughs> uh, excuse me. Um, not really sure. Um, I, I think... I think, actually, I was getting me knob polished by a backup singer in the recording booth at the time, if I recollect. Getting your knob polished. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, and that classic line, if there's a bustle in your hedgerow, a bustle in your hedgerow, what does it mean? Yeah, yeah. <coughs> Yeah, uh, you know something. Um, that one I came up with on the sport. I was uh, I was in an area, see, because I just <laughs> I just done about three pounds of primo Colombian flake, and uh, sinuses were yeah they were bleeding quite a bit, so, yeah. <laughs> smashing. But the passage I find so personally rewarding. There are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. Oh, yeah, you're on. Yeah, that one. Oh, that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, <clears throat> Jimmy Page had just finished with this one bird, and he had his thing out, and so I thought, hey. First time for everything, right? And he, I bent over and he oh, came up right oh, behind me. Oh, I've got to dash. Oh, must puke me guts out now. Oh. Led Zeppelin. They had a lot more fun than you did listening to their music on your lazy, baked ass. It's a big, juicy, sopping wet like a show business. Tonight, on Inside the Behind. Well, what's that got to do with Gary Newman? That's the obvious question. Oh, you got that picture? No, I did not. Oh, you oh. sent me a picture of Gary Newman? I sure did. Or John Car. Take your pick. No, thanks. <laughs> uh oh, more bad news from Iraq. More bad news. Why don't well, you ever read any of this? Start bringing us the yeah, good news. Right. I know. I'm way ahead of you. There isn't any. A triple bombing targeting Iraq's Ministry of Industry employees killed at least 12 people, wounded 70 others today in a mainly Christian neighborhood of Baghdad, police said. Two bombs targeted ministry guards, another bomb targeted a ministry convoy, according to a Baghdad emergency police official. Things are going incredibly well. But why should we care about that when we got Mark Foley to worry about? Huh? We got bigger fish to fry, we got a lot of egg on our face. We got a lot of pages to turn over. Two years after lending star power to George W. Bush's re-election campaign, Arnold has distanced himself from the U.S. president ahead of the upcoming elections. 
The Hollywood actor-turned-Republican politician is a strong favorite to win November's gubernatorial race in Democrat-dominated California, where Bush's approval ratings have slumped to record lows. He's feeling mighty low in California. But even while Schwarzenegger enjoys a commanding lead over his Democrat rival Phil Angelides in recent polls, analysts say the incumbent is wary of being associated with Bush. Schwarzenegger did not meet Bush during his trip to California yesterday. A spokesman for Bush said the focus of the visit was the congressional races, while Schwarzenegger said there was no reason for a meeting. President Bush is coming out here to not to help California, but to do fundraising in California, so there's no reason for me to meet him because I'm attending to business, he said. Not to help California, but to do fundraising. Asked if he viewed Bush's liability, Arnold replied, absolutely not. Privately, however, his campaign will be only too aware that Bush is bad for the electoral box office, say the analysts. If I were running Schwarzenegger's campaign, I'd do exactly what he's doing, and that's avoiding the president, said Ed Constantini, a professor of political science at the University of California, Davis. It would feed right into the Democrat strategy of trying to link Schwarzenegger to Bush if they're suddenly seen in photo ops together. He doesn't want to be within 100 miles of his ass. And who the hell can blame him, right? Right. Speaking of obnoxious people that nobody would like to be anywhere near, Dick Morris, boy, what a... What a fascist he turned into, huh? Talk about turncoat doesn't even uh, do justice to it. So let's see, Gary Newman was what? Alfred E.'s brother and he was on the cars? That's right. No. No. Wasn't it Rick, uh, Rick Riley was in the cars? Sure. Rick Shaw? Rick O'Casey. Casey Kasem was in the cars? Yes, he was. Escanaba. What? Dick Escanaba. That's in uh, Michigan, isn't it? I don't know. I believe so. What paper is this from? Probably the Escanaba Daily Press. Oh, sure the hell it is. I think it's in uh, the UP. Dick Morris, what a jackass he turned into. Pulled no punches in talking about his former bosses, Hillary and Bill Clinton, to members of the Bay Area Economic Club on Monday night. Of Bill Clinton, Morris said, he's not a very nice person to be with in private. Of Hillary Clinton, he said, she reminds me of President Nixon, very ruthless. Morris predicts Hillary will be the next president, but he's not happy about his prediction. He doesn't think she'd make a good president. She's as close to a European socialist as we have in the U.S., Morris said. Hillary is a liberal who's a moderate when she has to be. Bill is a moderate who's a liberal when he has to be, Morris observed. People ask me, why did you turn on the Clintons? I didn't, said Morris. I'm not a Republican, I'm a Democrat, he said. Boy, it could have fooled me. I hate both parties equally. I like both parties equally. When they work together, they get a lot of things accomplished. I believe we've had the best government in the last 25 years since we've had the founding fathers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. In the 2008 presidential election, Morris said he believes the only two Republicans who could give Senator Clinton a run for money are Rudy Giuliani and John McCain, but they're both too good, Morris says. I think the only person who could stop her is Al Gore, Morris says. He's written several books. He wrote Condi versus Hillary, arguing that only Condom Lisa could block Hillary's bid for the White House in 2008. He didn't even mention Robert Rice in his talk on Monday. Morris wrote a pair of books criticizing the Clintons and wrote Behind the Oval Office, Winning the Presidency in the 90s, a retrospective of his work with the Clintons. It was published soon after his August 29, 1996 resignation from the campaign due to scandal. Morris resigned after reports surfaced that he'd been involved in an extramarital affair with a prostitute named Cherry Rollins. Oh, no. Not another one of those uh, good uh, moralists. Morris also wrote the screenplay for Fahrenheit 9-11, an alternative to Michael Moore's 2004 film. He is a Fox TV news commentator. Does that tell you what you need to know? Uh -huh. And writes a weekly column for the Rupert Murdoch-owned New York Post and Hill Magazine. Card-carrying fascist, Dick Morris. Sellout. I'll tell you one thing. There must be a lot of cash floating around. You know, a lot of suitcases and That's brown right. paper bags full of cash you floating know, around D.C. Not to mention offers you can't refuse. Right. wonder how much uh, Miss Fudge has got on the payroll, huh? Wonder how much Richard Mellon Scaife is taking care of that queen. Lots. Marine Dowd has a column today in the New York Times. Don't pass the salted peanuts, Henry. 
Oh, yeah, that's that's the thing of all this stuff, you know, after watching that Kissinger movie, which uh, I got for you. Mm-hmm. And then seeing uh, the fact that uh, he's there all the time advising Cheney and Bush in the White House that they're bringing this now. And like they said, he's still fighting the war in Vietnam. The only exit option is victory in Iraq. Of course, nobody can define what victory is or what it might ever come about, but that's his advice. That's the only uh, exit strategy is victory, just like in Iraq. Peace is in our hand. I have it here. Maureen Dowd says Tom Lehrer said that political satire was rendered obsolete when Henry Kissinger won a Nobel Peace Prize for prolonging the Vietnam War. But even the inventive Lear could never have imagined that Dr. Strangelove would get a second chance to contribute to misleading the public about a military catastrophe in a misunderstood land, a do-over in scarring the American psyche and reputation in profound ways. Yet as Bob Woodward reveals in State of Denial, the sequel to Bush is a Genius, Mr. Kissinger has been one of the few trusted outside advisors that W has listened to on Iraq. The administration has shaped its policy to hew the 83-year-old unwise man's belief that the only way to beat an insurgency is to stick it out, no matter how American, how many American kids and foreign civilians die, especially if elections are coming up. As the historian Robert Dalek, who's writing a book on Nixon and Kissinger, notes, Kissinger was complicit in using foreign policy to try to save Nixon during Watergate. Bob Haldeman wrote in his diary on December 15, 1970, using K for Kissinger and P for President Nixon. K came in, and the discussion covered some of the general thinking about Vietnam and the P big peace plan for the next year, which K told me he does not favor. He thinks that any pullout next year would be a serious mistake because the adverse reaction to it could set in well before the 72 elections. He favors instead a continued winding down and then a pullout right at the fall of 72 so that if any bad results follow, they'll be too late to affect the election. It seems to make sense. Thirty-five years later, Mr. Kissinger, the consummate fawner, was once more able to sway a president with a fake deference. Dr. K encouraged W to play the tough guy on the war, even though he'd himself never gone to war. In September 2005, Mr. Woodward writes, W's head speechwriter, Mike Gerson, visited Kissinger and received a lecture declaring that the only exit strategy for Iraq was victory and a copy of the diplomat's salted peanut memo from 1969 warning against resisting pressure to withdraw troops from Vietnam. Withdrawal of U.S. troops will become like salted peanuts to the American people. The more U.S. troops come home, the more will be demanded, he said. It's the kind of logic that makes Dr. K such a valuable counselor to the president's already declared privately that his midterm election strategy is to tar the Democrats this way, surrender in taxes. The shrink-wrapped president didn't consult his own father before going to war against the same dictator, and moving from Dr. Strangelove to Dr. Freud, two of W's top war counselors, Rummy and Henry the K, are men who didn't bother to conceal their contempt for Bush Sr. as a naive lightweight. As Woodward notes, part of Rummy's allure for W was the fact that Poppy Bush considered him his arrogant, Machiavellian sort who could get you in deep doo-doo. It was a chance, Woodward says, to prove his father wrong or right. It's been clear for years that Cheney and Rummy have been using the Bush presidency like an elaborate vanity production to replay Watergate in Vietnam and to try to reverse things that bothered them during prior stints in the Nixon and Ford administrations. As Cheney told his pal Rummy when W gave him a second crack a quarter century later at the defense chief job, get it right this time. The vice president has been diabolically successful, uh, successful in exploiting 9-11 to restore the imperial presidency to where it was before Congress and the public became such nosy parkers after Watergate. Mr. Cheney and Rummy have been less successful in their attempt to exercise the post-Vietnam American skittishness about using force. Their abysmal misadventure in Iraq has only reinforced it. Kissinger's reasoning for favoring war in Iraq had none of the idealistic gloss about democracy that the president came up with later. Like Mr. Cheney, he thought it was a good idea to invade Iraq, not because it was strong, but because it was weak. We need to humiliate radical Islam, he told Mr. Gerson, and send a message that we're not going to live in this world that they want for us. Half a century of foreign affairs experience, and he still doesn't understand that humiliating young Arab men and occupying Muslim land just radicalizes them? We're expanding terror at a cost of about $6 billion a month, writes Maureen the Queen. 
your girlfriend, Maureen Dowd. I love her. Oh, look at that. Weekend poll showed Mahoney with a slight lead in Florida in Foley's congressional district. Side. It's only a three-point lead. McGrone told me yesterday that he's actually buoyed by that, says that's actually a good sign. Think they can make up some ground. But yeah, they can make up some stories is what they can make up. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, the devil made him do it, and it was that uh, molestation yeah. by the priest as a child. And, of course, the booze. <laughs> booze can make you do almost anything. Sure, and that Mahoney, I hear he's gay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother. Man, aren't all Democrats? Sure, and cowardly, and they want to tax you. Right, that's correct. Tax right. your ass. Cut and, of course, run. cut and run. Right. Cut and run. Five hundred eighty-nine votes on the poll. It's coming along swimmingly. Keep those polls coming. Thanks again, Sean. Yep. Although I am pissed off about that Gary Newman thing. Like, I'm supposed to know who that is, although I don't know picture. that song. Yes, you do. Okay, during the break, I'm going to look at that picture, and then maybe mm -hmm. puke my guts out. The, the biggest names of best talents. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560. <laughs> Real American A-Holes. Real American A-Holes. We salute you, Mr. Fake ID Maker. Mr. Fake ID Maker. Sure, you don't have the best equipment. In fact, your scanners produce images only slightly sharper than Silly Putty on the Sunday comics. Calvin and It doesn't matter, though, because your customers are completely faced when they visit you anyway. Most establishments would deny little Jimmy his alcohol and tobacco. But thanks to you, he purchases a 40 and a pack of smokes with ease while his underage friends wait around the corner. Don't forget the matches. Sure, the cops have tried to shut you down, but you provide a public service, keeping businesses that would otherwise go belly up in the black. Ow! So we salute you, Mr. Fake ID Baker, your inkjet printer, your three ex-wives, and the scores of hungover teenagers who couldn't get up for school today. You are a real American ale. Eleven eighteen. Speaking of uh, giving good face, that, I love that picture of Miss Foley. That it's a funny picture, of course. We got to say that as if uh, you know we didn't know that. Oh, the uh, the under our wrestling picture. The wrestling picture. Where Mark Foley is teaching one of the pages, obviously some wrestling positions. Well, there's fantasy football. That's fantasy wrestling. He says, "Relax, Dennis. Just teaching the kid to wrestle. Try the donuts with the sprinkles." <laughs> <laughs> And I'm sure Dennis did. He turned yeah. right back around. Got, got some of them ducky donuts. I bet he likes the donut holes. One thing about Krispy Kreme, um, they don't make no donuts with sprinkles, do they? Probably. You think they do? Yes. We are actually talking about donuts this morning, and the consensus is Krispy Kreme does make other flavors, but nobody notices because they only go for the clay. Because the other ones are so damn good. Right. And you can't eat only three. Hundred. God. Ought to be a login. So, as well, they're going to be out of business one of these days because people are deciding, you know, they're getting too sick and too uh, addicted ow, to it. New revelations about the so-called laughing hijackers. I don't think I even talked about that the other day. Remember that video came out and they were, <laughs> nope. Oh, uh, those tape. guys, yeah, yeah. The so-called laughing hijackers tape expose exposed its release as a stage-managed, politically timed father of uh, uh, timed thing. See, this is chopped off again. The father of Mohammed Atta blasted the video as a fake, while contradictory claims of its origin and nature baffle even terror experts, while even the media admits the tape was released not by al-Qaeda but by the U.S. intelligence community. How do you like that? Mm -hmm. Firstly, the father of Mohammed Atta, who has previously said that his son is still alive, has blasted the video as the uh, as fake. He said, the video testament of my son is false. I continue to believe he's innocent. Mohammed al-Amir al-Said said, he told the uh, Saudi daily al-Watan. The Americans tampered with and falsified that video. He said, they want to change uh, something in order to achieve their goals in the Middle East. See, the right-hand uh, column on this thing is all chopped off. What am I going to do about that? I know, go back to uh, Mozilla Firefox. Select print selection. What? 
select the part you want and then print the selection rather than the whole page. Oh, you're going to start with that again? Oh, I'm going to have sorry. to smear you know, that whole thing you'll, uh, catch up with the rest of humanity. In a separate revelation, AP is reporting that an expert on Islamic extremism has deemed the latest Al-Qaeda footage. Out of character for Al-Qaeda could have been taken by a security agency. Out of character. Mm -hmm. Was this a video by Al-Qaeda or by a security agency? Dr. Dia Rashwan, an Egyptian expert on militant groups, said, I've never seen such a video. Also question is the strangely different appearances of Muhammad Atta and Zia Jera. Both seem younger and the infamously bleak glaze of Atta. The ringleader is replaced by a somewhat softer expression. Just like that fat picture of Osama. Remember that one where he looked like he ballooned up? Maybe he was right. eating the uh, glazed donuts. Why not? I think Who the hell knows? By the way, we're only a half an hour away from a big uh, thing at Pompano Park, 1150 this morning. Mm -hmm. The steel structure is complete at the new Isla Capri Racino at Pompano Park. The Racino, it's time for the topping out tree setting on the top of the new building. And there'll be a special debut of the design renderings of the inside of the new Racino, including the slot machine floor, restaurants, and simulcast racing area. Boy, that's enough to whet my appetite and make me think that it might be a Woodbine Wednesday for me. You think I needed this? No. Oh. Topping out takes place with the tree planting at 11.50 this morning. That's a half an hour from now as they get the construction site in front of the clubhouse entrance at Pompano Park, followed by the rendering premiere of the inside of the new Racino on the fifth floor in Patton's Place Lounge. Doug Shipley, Corporate Vice President of Racino Operations for the Isle of Capri in Pompano Park, will conduct a question-and-answer session of the new Racino, Pompano Park horsemen, members of the Pompano Beach and Broward County Commissions, and the Greater Pompano Beach Chamber of Commerce will also be in attendance. Thank you, Steve. Steve Wolf sent that by. 29 minutes from now. They're going to be unveiling it. Did you also see that it was pitched uh, for a new morning? Uh, I got that right here in my pile, man. Will you relax? Sorry. sorry. Jesus, God, are you uh, impatient? I, I got it in my hand right now. Get so many times. Isn't that what Mark Foley said? While the Congress was supposed to be voting on whether we're going to provide money to invade Iraq? Yeah. By the way, we got that story faxed to us three times already today. What's that? All the Pompano stories. I wish people would realize that you're on top of these things. Don't you understand that if anybody knows what's going on at Pompano Park, Bruce Ranger knows. Don't you understand that? And Kelly the Schlepp. Pompano Beach, Broward County, and Florida Marlins officials have been in discussions for several months about possibly financing a baseball stadium at Pompano Park Harness Track. Oh, my God. City officials are saying. The talks have not. But what does this have to do with Mark uh, Foley and those emails? Nothing. Let's get back That's to that. That's all they want to see. Do you know that uh, we put that up there 1030 on Wednesday? Mm -hmm. Right, Josh? About 1030? Yeah. yeah. It's got over 1,000 reads. How many stories do you think we ever put on our website that get over a thousand reads? That may be the third or fourth in all the time we've been putting this stuff on there. Mm -hmm. What does that tell you? Everything I already X P E N. That's right. B A G. Yeah, that's what it's got to be, it, man. Baby. That's right. A S S H. <laughs> our puppy the, stuff. Will you wait? Will you stop? <laughs> Boy, it sure don't take much to get you going. I'll tell you that. Just give him no. a little piece of, give uh -huh. him like a a shoelace, and he turns it into a tightrope, and then sticks it around my neck. <laughs> The talks have not yet yielded a completed deal, but Pompano Beach Mayor John Rayson and Broward County Mayor Ben Graber said they're excited about the possibility of bringing the Marlins to Broward! A prospect that has seemed unlikely for years as county commissioners have been unenthusiastic about putting tax dollars toward another sports venue. The county commission raised the county hotel bed tax 2% in 1996 to help pay for the Bank Atlantic Yenta Center in Sunrise, home of the Panthers hockey team. Don't forget the hockey season starts tonight. Oh! Not the Panthers, though. That's Friday night against the Bruins. And Gildy and silly-ass Red Deer Randy will have the game for you right here on QM on Friday. We're pretty proud and pleased about that. One of the leading, what did that the press release say yesterday? One of the leading uh, broadcast teams in all of hockey? Isn't that what it said? The conversation that we had about uh, defense was... Uh... Is that we don't have any. There's Paul Maurice, the uh, new coach of your Toronto Maple Leafs. Aren't you excited about that? No. No, I knew you wouldn't. What? 
Hockey talk, baby. Get some of those hockey shows going, baby. Hockey season starts tonight. Hockey night in Toronto. Both mirrors called the discussions about uh, the stadium complex and wouldn't disclose any of the financing deals. Yeah, who's going to pay for it? There are possibilities, said Race Newest toured the track with representatives of the Marlins and the track's owner, Isla Capri. He said one possibility is relocating a set of older stables at the track to make way for a stadium. I'm hopeful we can make progress, Raisin said. I'd love to keep the Marlins in South Florida. I think it's fantastic if they're able to get a stadium built. Yeah, because there's so much interest, and they just fired the manager for doing too good of a job. Graber, who wouldn't discuss the location of the stadium, said he hoped to be able to announce the deal before he leaves office on November 7th. Maybe this could be an October surprise. A new stadium for the Marlins at Pompano Park. Oh! And maybe Wally Hennessy can pitch for the Marlins. What do you think? Or maybe Donald Brainerd. We are very close to perhaps putting an offer together that may be presented to the county commission. We're still about two weeks away from finalizing it, Graber said. It's a complex deal that doesn't depend on one entity greatly. It's a fair deal. The Marlins declined comment. They were too busy firing Joe Girardi and announcing their new manager, whose name ends in a Z. Who is the new manager? Freddie Gonzalez. Oh, ends in a Z. The team is in discussions with Dade County and the city of Hialeah about financing a ballpark in western Hialeah. Oh, God. Major League Baseball has contracts to purchase land south of Miami Arena and been in discussions with the city of Miami and business dealers about locating a stadium in downtown Miami. No deal has been reached in either location. That, that would be a good poll to take. Maybe we'll do that one one of these days soon. Okay. Like, where should the Marlins build a new stadium? Hialeah, uh-huh. downtown Miami, or Tennessee. Pompano Park, or like in Vermont would be good. Montpelier. Yeah, sure. It's not certain a deal can be reached in Broward either. Pompano Park is financing and building that $140 million two-story building to house 1,500 slot machines, restaurants, and bars, and is in the midst of a $10 million grandstand renovation. And the unveiling of that uh, Racino, at least the um, rendering of it, is coming up in 24 minutes at 11.50. Stephen Wolf, the track senior director of racing operations, said he's unaware of any talks with the Marlins and wasn't sure where a stadium might be located on the track's 223 acres. Pompano Beach Vice Mayor George Brummer, whose district includes the track, also isn't sure and doesn't think the public would support the project, which he says would be even more traffic congestion along Atlantic Boulevard and Powerline Road. I don't think it's practically said. Maybe we could drop all the fans in by helicopter. How many helicopters would it take to drop all the Marlin fans in? About 30, man. Yeah, that's right. If there were like 10 people in each one, that's 300. Sure. Major League Baseball President Bob Dupuis said he has not been presented with any proposals beyond a highly Miami plan and that any plan near a gambling venue that might be used for gambling revenue or financing would need to be closely reviewed. Oh, that's for sure. We don't want people going over there to the baseball game and then uh, sticking their money in the machine, you know? Mm-hmm. Like Billy and Reva there in Vegas. Boy, that show's got to go off the air. It just makes me want to puke. 27 past 11 at QM. I'm sure we'll find some more Mark Foley stories in the pile, right? Some more salacious uh, emails. The biggest names, the best talent. This is Neil Rogers. Sports Radio 560 QAM. Neil Rogers. All right. Never washed his hair or seemed to have a care, Cobain. His name was Kurt, now he's pushing up dirt, Cobain. Wiping drool from his chin, doing heroin, Cobain. Nirvana was hot, and now it's Kurt, they ain't got Cobain. He got high, said goodbye, then he died. Cobain. 
Made a million an hour, never took a shower, Cobain. He's a number one hit in heaven's big mosh pit, Cobain. He'll meet Elvis the King and say grunge was my thing, Cobain. So if you're filled with doubt, don't take Kurt's way out, Cobain. He got high, said goodbye, then he died, Cobain. We're going to have 1,341 votes on the poll. Aren't you impressed? That's amazing. You want to know why I played that? Why? Eric Clapton is playing cocaine in concert again. Good. The recovering drug... The recovering drug addict and alcoholic who founded the Crossroads Center Addiction Recovery Center on the Caribbean island of Antigua stopped performing a song written by J.J. Kale when he first got sober. But what's that got to do with Gary Newman, who looks, uh, if you ask me, like a cross between John Mark Carr and David Bowie? Okay. Doesn't he? During those makeup-wearing days, absolutely. Oh, my God. Gruesome. And you can almost see them. I thought that I might be giving the wrong message to people who were in the same boat as me, Clapton recently told the A.N.P. But further investigation proves the song, if anything... If it's not even ambivalent, it's an anti-drug song. And so I thought that it might be a better way to do it, approach it from a more positive point of view. Uh. And carry on performing it not as a pro-drug song, but just as a reality check about what it does. Clapton Band shouts out dirty cocaine during the song. Dirty cocaine! I see, it's dirty, I guess. Well, so that, that should do it, wouldn't you think? Sure. It's one of those songs that you can take any way you like, Clapton told the AP, but it very clearly says in the opening verse, if you want to get down, down on the ground, I mean, I think that's the focal point of the song. That's what the song's about, you know, is that there's a price, a price to pay. Clapton also said he missed playing cocaine (laughs) with a signature guitar riff just purely from a musical point of view. Sure. Clapton 61 is on the North American leg of his world tour. His duet CD with Kale, the road to Escondido, is scheduled for release on Election Day, November 7th, which I'm sure is just a coincidence, wouldn't you think? I imagine it is. You can play your game. <laughs> All right, here you go. Heartless Bastard. This is, where you lose, this is where Neil loses contact with the, with the audience in the outside world. You weren't bad. If you have kids of your own. While your window is open. Or run down the hall. I'm dying over here. While your window is open. I'm out on tour. Singing cocaine, no less. Right. I feel secure Cause your temp Will watch while your Windows open Twenty-five till noon at QM. Now, this next uh, story here, this next bedtime story from Smirking Chimp by Exec Branch Ford Dummies. Got a lot of four-letter words in there, so be sure and monitor very closely to make sure I don't, uh, you know. It's going to require a lot of work on my part. Yeah. And this isn't even got, this isn't even the um, phone uh, transcripts. Really? The the chats from the chat room. Okay. The instant messages. 
It says it's now the first Wednesday morning in October, and the press is no more willing to give up on Mark Foley's story than it was ready to give up on Janet Jackson's nipple the Wednesday after the Super Bowl. Let's follow an idea put forwardly by Catherine Harris, but let's do it as sane people. This means we'll be covering virgin territory. I blush to put the word virgin in the same paragraph with Miss Harris's name. As for a quote, Ms. Harris warned that the press shouldn't make this a partisan issue, that we should find out what the press knew about the de- and the Dems knew, because they put our children at risk if they covered things up. I know one thing they ought to cover up. Rectum. Turns out Ms. Harris was at least half right. The press knew and didn't follow the story, if you count Fox News as the press. Could she be right that the Democrats decided to leak this story to ABC at this particular moment? Jesus God, I hope so. There was a pre-Mark Foley story about the Republican October strategy for this election, which they admitted would be one of the toughest in decades. There was a quote from Ken Melman. Oh, there's another uh, closet case. There was a quote from Ken Melman, and to call him smug would be a disservice to the word. Asked why there was no panic, he said, you can only be panicked if you're surprised, and nothing surprises them. Well, Mother Effer, surprise! At least I hope it's surprise. See, there's the first uh, word I had to, like, clean up, yeah. The conservative fog machine is in full CYA, cover-your-ass mode. The excuses Tony Snow and other paid shows are coming up with are nothing less than Schmidt crazy. Fox News had Foley's picture up on the air on Tuesday with the label Foley, Democrat of Florida. The paid apologist trolls on the Huffington Post denounced Foley, but intentionally misspelled his name Foyle, F-O-Y-L-E, as though he wasn't one of them, and they had never heard of him before. Republicans already said their throats with such vehemence you'd think they were Democrats. So there are two possibilities. If you're willing to accept there are no accidental outings of scandals, either the Democrats have hit their first October home run in over a decade, or Karl Rove has pulled off another mad genius move. Rove wants to be known as the great tactical mastermind who won the last three elections. It does no good to say that it's easy to be a mastermind if you know you have widespread electoral fraud as an option to last resort. According to the press, you have to be crazy to think that. What better way to cement your reputation than to win with, with, when hit with a bombshell like this so late in the campaign? I put this theory forward, but I have a hard time trying to defend it. I really think the Republicans are screwed, and these are my reasons why. There have been many attempts to scare the public, but they've hit with a thud this time. No shampoo on airplanes. F you, give me back my shampoo. Israel starts WW3. F you, WW3 will last more than three weeks and won't end with a bad tactical retreat. Iran has nukes. Not yet and not soon, a-hole. The public just doesn't care. If any move to bolster public confidence has any chance to work, it might be plummeting gas prices, which doesn't need constant headlines. It's a massage the public feels without the benefit of the media. Too bad the Republicans have so many bad candidates at the Senate level and general anger at the House, and now we have Mark Foley. If this is a Republican ploy, it's like stealing home when you're down six runs in the eighth inning. Little chance of success and probably not going to be enough anyway. If the Democrats leak this now, they covered their own ass for the cowardly retreat on the torture bill, which is solid Rove-style execution. Isn't it remarkable that the Republicans have to massage their base from time to time, but so many Democrats think that we won't care about selling the Constitution down the river? Lucky them. This week is about Mark Foley's instant messages, not about the Geneva Convention or habeas corpus. I know that the view from this side of the Republican faithful is that they are idiots who will buy any story, but scales do fall off eyes and camels do buckle under the strain. With all the Republican successes, people forget how close the split is in this country, and midterm elections are almost always about turnabout. About turnout. This can't help turnout. So I want to congratulate the quiet behind-the-scenes Democratic operative whose name we'll never know, who gave Mark Foley's story to ABC. And kudos, too, to Howard Dean, who finally decided to fight dirty and smart. I've gambled enough to know that not to celebrate early, but let me use a poker phrase here. Our opponent's all in, and we have the best hand with one card to go. It's possible they'll suck out, but over 90% of the time, folks who are sitting in the Republicans' position go home broke. Now we can only hope that Emmons with Power will grow a pair in ITMFA. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that story needed...
whole bunch oh, of Oh, yeah. Like most but that's what we is. need, man. Just like when Bubba got all pissed off there with the Chris that's Wallace right. the other day. It's about time people start getting fired up and pissed off about this crap. Instead of just sitting back like Julie Lieberman and Susan Collins. <laughs> well, I think it's a real disgrace. Man. I don't know what's worse, her or Rita Crosby, you know? At least Rita Cosby ain't killing anybody. Although she's killing me every time I hear her on the air. She's good for comedy, though, i got to admit. That, that's true. She's a little comic relief. I wonder if she's on now. Now we got some other prune-headed bitch. Woman on the Supreme Court. That's why I love that story, too, because I think that story tells so much about how tough uh, Sandra Day O'Connor is. And just as you pointed out, how... That's right. We want Sandra Day O'Connor back. Oh! That's what we want right now. Thank God for her, you know what? We'd all be in concentration camps right now. You and me and uh, Josh and everybody even who listened to the show. Or admit they ever heard of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. 1,355 votes. Man, we got 1,500 licked today. And maybe I'll even find a good machine again. Wouldn't that be something three Wednesdays in a row? I doubt you it. You go, girl. Yeah. If you could keep your federal tax dollars from being spent on one item, what would it be? How about, it? Uh, you know, they spent so little time uh, actually in session, Congress. The fact that uh, they were having a session of the House... Mm -hmm. We're going to vote on that uh, appropriations bill for the war in Iraq in April of 2003. And Miss Foley is going off to have an Internet sex chat with his uh, boyfriend, Paige. God, I thought Paige was a girl's name anyway. It is. The war in Iraq, 509. Tax exemptions for religious organizations, 366. I wish I could vote twice, at least. Right. Subsidies for energy companies, 177. Matching funds for political campaigns, 92. Foreign aid, 86. Dues to the U.N., 53. Public service announcement like just say no. Just say no to Republicans, 24. Just say no to a pedophile uh, congressman. National Missile Defense, 24. And the space program, only 24. Our, our audience, our space cadets, like it out there. The biggest names, the best talent. Like this is Neil Rogers, Sports Radio 560, QAM. Did you say? The people who say I didn't do enough spent the whole time I was president saying, why is he so obsessed with Ben Laden? That was wag the dog when he tried to kill us. And you know it's not true. It's just not true. Lies, lies, lies. on your failure now. He tried back in 98 to burn it by Monica who wags the dog now. You murdering the Ocon Follow blind, all in line, to the right. And just blame it all on Clinton. Hatred bloviates from Republicans. Their misguided loyalty makes them an accessory to murder my friend. And bringing the world to an end. Follow blind, fall in line, to the line. And just blame it all on Clinton. Embrace your complacency. The same exact crap. Americans don't want to be brainwashed by news that they don't need soccer moms and SUVs. Crap their heads to like 103. And they lie and confuse with subterfuge as they play with all of Winston. GLP, don't your sheep. And they play with all of Winston. They divert. The same exact crap. Exactly. 1148, 12 minutes before noon at 560 WQAM. How about that sports uh, crap? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Hey, we got plenty of sports crap today. 
We got Mad Dog at two. Power Hour with Hank and the Mad Dog at four. The Humper solo between five and seven. Well, what else he gonna do? We got no uh, games. What time does that Panther stuff start on Friday? Inquiring minds want to know. Let me take a look. Uh, Panther preview at seven o'clock. Oh, and look at that! Look at that! Gildy at the Yenta Center for two hours uh, in for Hank on Friday. So here I'm worried about uh, you know all these hours he's got to work. He don't even work on Friday. It must be another one of them stupid horse. I mean, one of those great horse races this weekend. Did we ever find out which one it was last weekend? No. That one in New York. Yeah, one of those in New York. <laughs> anyway, um, Panther previews at 7 Friday. Panthers open up the season against the Bruins at the Yenta Center on uh, Friday. And Geldy's going to be on a long time. <laughs> we'll be uh, see if we can keep the transmitter going. Sean Penn talks about the arrogant, the misguided, and the cowards. Now, today we like Sean Penn, right? Right. He's a little bit thin-skinned, takes himself a little too seriously. But yeah, some days we like him right. and some days we don't. All depend on what kind of crap he's... Uh, all depending on what kind of crap he's spewing on that day. His heart's in the right place. There you go. Actor Sean Penn assailed the arrogant, the misguided, and the cowards who argued that an immediate pullout of our troops from Iraq would inspire lack of confidence and lost credibility of the USA in a statement written in preparation for anti-war demonstrations planned in over 190 cities uh, tomorrow. President Bush and his functionaries indeed have lost enormous credibility for the perception of our country internationally, wrote Penn, in a statement read by actor Mark Ruffalo on Monday night at Cooper Union in New York City. Who's Mark Ruffalo? Is he kin to a Gary uh, Never heard Newman? Of him. You didn't? No. Hmm. The world can't wait. Drive out the Bush regime emergency meeting was held in response to passage of the torture bill. Well, in other words, these are people who are keeping their eyes on the torture bill as opposed to whether Mark Foley is a pedophile. Ah, what's torture got to do with it? Well, it looks to me like that wrestler down there that he's laying on top of. That looks like torture to me. Yeah. Perhaps more damaging than that, they've created the greatest cultural, religious, and political divide domestically since our own civil war, Penn wrote. Yeah, well, if they're having a civil war in Iraq, why can't we have another one in America, eh? Sure. Penn paid a three-day visit to Iraq in December 2002 because he felt the American public was being duped by a media perspective that saturates us every day. And, of course, he is on that. Absolutely correct, sir. If there's going to be blood on my hands, I didn't want that blood to be invisible, Penn said in 2002. He says, we, the people of the U.S., have a unique opportunity. We can show each other and the world that what the Bush administration claims is their mission is not ours. And by leading our country as a citizenry and demanding of our government an immediate end to our own military and private investments in Iraq, display for the entire world that democracy is a government of the people. What more powerful message to send the world than we ourselves can choose in policy, in peace, and in humanitarian support? Sounds to me like he's running for orphans, don't it? It does. In fascism, one serves the state. Let's show the world that with democracy we can make the state do our bidding and that such bids would not be the blind ones given exclusively to the friends of power, but rather the domain of the people of freedom everywhere. This is an administration that advocates torture, deceives the public, spends billions of dollars on a failed war. This is an administration where in the year of Katrina, ExxonMobil claimed the highest profit margin in the history of world business. It's an administration that belittles, demeans, deceives, and indeed kills our brothers, sisters, sons, and our daughters. At the U.S.-Mexico border, we panic at the notion of illegal entry without blinking an eye as our elderly line up every Saturday morning with wheelchairs, walkers, canes, and joint pain queued up in the desert heat to enter Mexico where they can purchase affordable medication. In the human family, this president is indeed pushing his wheelchair-bound grandmother down the stairs with a smile on his face. Everyone knows that these are true statements. Everyone. Some are ashamed of where they put their support in the past, their passivity in the present, with the courage of their minds and hearts at bay. What an exciting thing to reverse this as one America and show the world who wears the pants in this house. Stand up as an American and join World Can't Wait and those demonstrating this Thursday, October 5, out of Iraq and out with Bush, says Sean Penn. How do you like that? Always like that, Sean. You go, baby. He's a good actor, anyway. Huh? He's a good actor, at least. The same exact crap. There you go. 
<laughs> yeah, wouldn't it be something if the Democrats leaked this thing? And people say, oh, well, it was a political thing. Well, you know, too bad. Too bad. In fact, they're always they're all talking now, or at least many of them, about, well, you know, look what Clinton did. Who leaked that crap? Mm-hmm. I guess Kenny Starr was a Democrat, huh? Not. And by, by the way, something, what's that got to do with this? Nothing. If you were not. on the fact that she was 23 years old and went to Washington with her presidential knee pads, according to her, and was there looking to do exactly what she did. She was actively. And I don't think that Miss Fudge was back then saying, oh, well, she was the perpetrator. She was the one that beast. Right. But of course, she was a beast. She yeah. was a beast. Pig, a cow. Mm-hmm. Although not as big of a beast in the cow as she is now, though. This is the beast. Have you been down on your knees praying for a quick, easy way to lose those unwanted pounds? Believe me, I know the feeling. Hi, I'm Monica Lewinsky. Well, good for you, honey. Pig. Anyway, speaking of celebrities, you're going to feel really bad. And I almost feel bad, but I'm too much of a hard-hearted bastard to do that. Remember I had you buy the Inquirer last week? Right. And you saw that horrible picture of Farrah? No, I know, I'm still scarred. TV legend Farrah Fawcett is battling cancer, the Inquirer's learned exclusively. Oh, you bastard. They feel really bad about putting that nasty picture you in there. Heartless. Looking cowards. like that's right. Terrible. Doctors discovered a malignant tumor in her lower intestine and blasted away with radiation to shrink it, sources say. After surgery removed the deadly cancer, the 59-year-old former Charlie's Angel star faces chemo and more grueling radiation treatments. The devastating news came after Farrah's trumpet appearance August 27th at the Emmy Awards when she unveiled a stunning new look. During a reunion, <laughs> maybe that was the look in, in the <laughs> Yeah, I was stunned. Yeah. During a reunion with Angels co-stars Jacqueline Smith and Kate Jackson, and of course the lovely Gary Newman. But it brought <laughs> her back together with longtime love Ryan O'Neill, who survived his own battle with leukemia. Whatever happened to him anyway kind of disappeared, thank God. He bugged the hell out of me. He couldn't act his way out of a paper sack. He kind of reminded me of, uh, who was that kid in the Disney movies that I hate like poison? Which one? Kurt Russell? Kurt Russell. Kind of reminded me of him. Okay. Pasty and Irish. Well, it goes hand in hand. After Farrah got the diagnosis, cancer of the anus and lower intestine. Cancer of the anus? Rectum. She was devastated. Everyone in the family cried for days. A long-time family told the Inquirer. Then she snapped out of it and told Ryan, I'm going to beat this, damn it, with a stick. <laughs> cancer of the anus and the intestine. Wow. Hey, Farrah, watch your anus. She would have just listened to us long ago, you know it? Mm-hmm. Same, same message for all you Washington pages out there. Watch your Rectum. watch your anus. Well, maybe some of those kids are into stargazing. Maybe sure. they've got like a, a stelescope or an aesthetoscope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, an aesthetoscope. Just watch where you stick that. Uh, that's right. Yeah, everybody's got to take at least one look at that picture under the pole. <laughs> if you want a good chuckle because there's so many depressing things going on. Although, of course, when there's scandal in the Republican Party, how depressing can that be, right? The biggest names, the best talents. Oh, yeah. This is Neil Rogers, Sports Radio 560, QAM. Oh, this is Pope John Paul Lind. And if you ask me, the only thing more fun than playing grab-ass with a Swiss guy is the Neil Rogers 12 to 1 hour. Oh. From the caterers of the movies Jackass and Jackass 2 comes the motion picture everyone is talking about. Hey, check this out. I'm going to stand in the path of an oncoming freight train and not move. I wonder what will happen. Dumbass. See the movie with death-defying stunts that don't defy death. Hey, watch what happens when I stand in this bathtub and Charlie throws a plugged-in toaster into the water. 
Dumbass, where average people try to impress you by attempting to cheat death. Oh, dude, right now, we're 15,000 feet in the air, and I'm ready to jump out of the plane with no parachute. Let's see what happens. The dumbest one and a half hours you'll ever spend in the theater. It's just so damn dumb. Yeah. Dumbass. Everyone was harmed in the making of this movie. A lot of dumb kids out there. How do you think there get to be so many dumb adults? Hey, now. Uh-huh. Something to think about. I heard that movie was good. What, dumbass? Yes. Josh said Jackass Part 85 was really great. Isn't that what you said? It. it was very funny. A lot of gross stuff in there, but it was very funny. Well, that's good. Don't to try them at home, though, all you stupid kids out there. A lot of stupid people. No, no, do it. A lot of impressionable people. Please. Like I said, do try it at home. Yes, twice. Get rid of these stupid people faster That's that right. way. That's why those movies are like a pubic service. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know about you, but I get... Well, of course, it's the whole religion thing, you know, these goody-two-shoes people. What kind of expression is that, anyway? I never really thought about that till just this moment, till I said it. Goody-two-shoes. Goody-two-shoes? Uh, I'm sure it has Remember Goody Goody by Frankie right. Lyman and the Teenagers? Mm-hmm. Play it! <laughs> Put it on there. But this Amish uh, crowd, you know, well, of course they are. Uh, Amish grandfather says, we must not think evil of this man. No, have good thoughts about him, you know. He's a wonderful guy. Oh, and look at what the name of this town is. I thought the name was like uh, nickel, uh, nickel and Dime. Nickel Paradise, and Pennsylvania. Paradise. Absolutely. Pennsylvania. A grieving grandfather told young relatives not to hate the gunman who killed five girls in an Amish schoolhouse carriage, a pastor said today. As we were standing next to the body of this 13-year-old girl, the grandfather was tutoring the young boys. He was making a point, just saying to the family, we must not think evil of this man, the Reverend Robert Shank told CNN. It was one of the most touching things I've seen in 25 years of Christian ministry, he said. In other words, mm -hmm, the girl was one of ten shot by Charles Carl Roberts IV. You notice how all these slimeballs now, they all have like three names. Three names, I guess. Like John Mark Carr and mm -hmm. Charles Carl Roberts. Well, this one is the fourth. He's not only got uh, right. three names, he's got a number. Think of Charles Nelson Riley. After he invaded their one-room schoolhouse in rural Pennsylvania on Monday, three died at the scene, two died early on Tuesday in hospitals. Funerals for four of the victims are scheduled for tomorrow, and the fifth will be on Friday. Five girls remain hospitalized today in critical or serious condition. At the family's request, the hospital didn't provide details on the extent of the girls' injuries. Shank met with the families of two of the victims, as well as the family of the gunman. Relatives of Roberts had no hint that he commits such a violent act, the pastor said. There's always a pastor involved, you know what? These are always good God-fearing peoples. Sure. Others who knew him described him as troubled, kind of like troubled. One person who had almost daily encounters with him said that she noted that he never looked into anyone's eyes, never looked into anyone's faces, and she knew that there was something deeply troubling about him, Shank said. Although she did say she was very careful to say that Charles Roberts was not an evil person, that he was a deeply troubled man, that he had, in her words, the sort of modest words of the Amish, he had problems of the heart. I see. Well, now with Mark Foley, and they had problems of the heart. Mm, heart problems. Jack Meyer, member of the Brethren community living near the Amish in Lancaster County, said some local people were trying to follow Jesus' teachings and dealing with a terrible hurt. Jesus Christ. Right. What would Jesus do? Uh, first of all, I don't think Jesus would go there. Go I don't there. think there's anybody here that wants to do anything but forgive and not only reach out to those who have suffered loss in, in that way, but to reach out to the families of the man who committed these acts, he told CNN. What a Christian way to do it. Mm -hmm. I want to reach out to the family, even of the butcher. This wonderful, good Christian man. Well, if they are Christians, that's what they're supposed to do. Sam Stoltzfus, 63. I wonder if he's kin to Abe Stoltzfus, the harness driver. Who? Sam Stoltzfus, 63, an Amish woodworker who lives a few miles away from the shooting scene, told the A&P that the victim's families will be sustained by their faith. 
And you know what they believe in? Damn, God! We think it was God's plan. We're going to have to pick up the pieces and keep going, he told it. Oh, yeah, it was God's plan, because he works in mysterious ways, and he's a sadistic bastard. Part of his plan is to have uh, slime balls like this go in and shoot up a bunch of little girls. A funeral to us is much more important thing than the day of birth, because we believe in the hereafter that children are better off than their survivors, he said. Sam Stoltzfus. When members of the community die, they're buried in wooden coffins. Women in all white, men in all black, according to AMP. Bodies are embalmed, but undertakers do not apply makeup. Funerals are held in line in the victim's home, and the dead are delivered to the cemetery in a horse-drawn carriage. A hymn is read, but there's no singing, God forbid. Do not be singing no thong. Yesterday, police said Roberts told his wife he molested young relatives 20 years ago and was dreaming about molesting children again. Pennsylvania State Police Commissioner Jeffrey Miller said Roberts may have targeted the school for its school students and given various items found in the school intended to molest the children. Didn't get around to it, though. They found that one or two Cube. of a KY in there. So the fact that he chased all the boys out of there and that pregnant woman, he just wanted, like, uh, diddle the little girls in there, but didn't have no time. So instead, he just uh, shot him instead. Mm -hmm. Maniac. But let's uh, not have any bad thoughts about him. He was not an evil man. He was or a man of the cloth. If you're a Christian, you're not supposed to. That's correct. Mara Lee writes on Capitol Hill Blue, political fallout increases. Oh, oh good. Payback is a bitch, isn't it? You know what it sounds like to me? The what? same exact crap. That's right. <laughs> From one direction, embattled House Speaker Denny Hastert, that cow. Hey, have another donut. Have the ones with the sprinkles on them, Denny. Took it on the chin Tuesday. I wouldn't be surprised if Mark Foley's uh... taken it on the chin. When an influential conservative newspaper demanded his resignation for not inter intervening sooner in what's become the biggest sex scandal about Washington since the days of Monica Lewinsky. Oh, there's that name again. That big, fat, disgusting piece of turd. Monica Lewinsky. Where's that? Influency, Monica Lewinsky. Oh, we can't play that. Why not? Yeah, are you crazy? That doesn't have any of the words. You play it about 2.15. Well, I'll, I'll listen to it in queue, okay? okay? I'm ultra cautious now, knowing the Nazis that we work for. In an editorial yesterday, which I read you on the air uh, myself, the Washington Times, a voice from the right that carries weight in the Bush administration and conservative quarters in Washington and beyond, called for Hastert to step down. It blasted him for essentially shrugging off indications that Representative Mark Foley, one of Hastert's deputies, was engaging in sexual conversations and possibly sexual activity with underage males. He was trolling, baby. Trolling for... That's it. And it begins with a C either when they were serving as congressional pages soon after their terms ended. He was trolling for congressional... Also from the right side of the political spectrum, a coalition of more than 70 conservative pro-family groups expressed concern that House GOP leaders may have shrugged off early warnings about Foley's behavior in order not to offend the radical gay rights movement. Oh, that's what it's all about. That's it. We don't want to piss off those uh, gays. It appears that the conservative majority has given way to political correctness, said a statement from the Arlington Group Coalition, which includes the Unctuous Family Research Council, the American Family Association, and the Free Congress Foundation, all a bunch of farbison agoyim. But Hastert told conservative radio talk show host Rush Limbaugh yesterday he wasn't even considering resigning, also got a pat on the back from another direction when President Bush weighed in, El Presidente. It was the first time Bush spoke publicly on the politically explosive subject since Foley abruptly resigned the Florida seat he'd held for 12 years on Friday after transcripts of his online conversations, some sexually explicit, explicit others suggested, became public. And you know what LaToya said, don't you? That damn faggot. I can't stand him. Right. I was dismayed and shocked to learn about Congressman Foley's unacceptable behavior, Bush said in Stockton, California, adding that any violation of law should be prosecuted. Even so... Bush said he retains confidence in Hastert, who's coming under increasing flack for not acting sooner or stronger enough after reports surfaced in 2005 that Foley was engaging in inappropriate interactions with young male pages. 
I know that he wants all the facts to come out, Bush said from Stockton. We were visiting an elementary school and campaigned. Well, we don't want him in those elementary schools anymore. Remember what happened last Ooh, time? I don't. Bush said, I'm confident he'll provide whatever leadership he can to law enforcement in this investigation. Right. Bush's comments came as Republicans, fearful the Foley scandal would cost them control of the House, tried to dismiss political whoops of war from Democrats who viewed the same possible shift of power with glee. Whoop. They're whooping it up. They also came as one of the most tawdry accounts yet of Foley's sexual activity surfaced on ABC News yesterday, which made public an explicit transcript and of an apparent sexual encounter that occurred as Foley waited to vote on the House floor. While not attacking Hastert by name, the coalition of conservative groups called for a full investigation and said the GOP leaders must demand the resignation of any House member who had acted improperly in this manner. But another voice from the right, focus, hocus, pocus, focus on the family, advocacy group decried the political tone that the controversy has triggered. Thank God there wasn't any of that after Monica Gate, right? Right. Those truly interested in protecting children from online predators should just spend time, less time calling for Hastert to step down and more time demanding that the Justice Department enforce existing laws, she said. Hastert has said that Representative John Shimkus, Republican of Illinois, who heads the board that oversees the Congressional Page Program, confronted Foley about a series of suggestive emails Foley sent to that former page from Louisiana last fall and told him to stop emailing the young man. Cut it out. Cut the... Crap. That's it. Hastert said no further action was taken because the email stopped and the teenager's parents wanted no publicity. Both Hastert and Shimkus said they had no knowledge until last Friday of the explicit instant messenger conversations Foley had been having with pages of four, uh, or former pages some as long as three years ago. How do you like that? Mm -hmm. I wonder, is he using his phone, his BlackBerry? What do you think? All of the above. All of these. All of these. Things. Things. <laughs> uh, 1,422 votes on the poll. We're going to top 1,500 easy today. On a Wednesday, right after Yom Kippur, no less, I think that puts a real feather in our uh, cap. Feather in our cap. Right. 1422. I'll tell you, now, don't forget at 5 o'clock. I don't want to keep reminding you, but I just, uh, you know. I'll uh, set a reminder. Don't worry. Because it's highly unlikely. I don't see Eric don't have it up there yet. I don't want to get, you know, pushy with him, but I'm just a little bit nervous. Because once the Krispy Kreme donuts arrive at the house, he's useless the rest of the day. Isn't that what you hear through the grapevine? Uh, I, I hear it through the chat box. 1425 on the poll, baby. We'll have 15 by 1 o'clock. God only knows what's going to happen by 2. The biggest names, the best talent. This is Neil Rogers, Sports Radio 560, QAM. Okay, now, there was another one of those false rejoins there in the middle of that break, and I'm getting really tired of those false rejoins. I wouldn't mind, except for the fact that I had something really important to come back with, like this. <laughs> See what I mean? Way to go is that 
Paris Hilton's were both big. And so if you don't mind acting like a pig, one way to go is an adult video. Well, I'll tell you one thing. This uh, Foley story is just starting to burst open, so to speak, if I can use that. What a bunch of... A blogger is vowing to reveal the identity of one of the boys Congressman Mark Foley communicated with, according to Raw's story. Mm -hmm. William Kerr of Passionate America, whatever that is, has pledged to divulge the information at 4 o'clock Central Time this afternoon, 5 o'clock. He also plans on discussing the boys' identity on his radio show. Who the hell is William Kerr, and what the hell is Passionate America? You know what it sounds like to me? The same exact crap. Right. A press release issued by Kerr seems to quietly argue the boy is not a private person, twice indicating that the information was discovered among publicly available material. Raj Story and other news organizations have been aware of the identities of some boys involved in the scandal since first receiving the now-famous emails. Some even failed to redact one boy's email address from the messages published. None have as yet deliberately identified any of the boys involved. There is the possibility that this story will not be well received by some of the major news media, Kerr's release notes. Mr. Kerr's evidence has been checked by many people to be accurate. And well, what's, what's that going to accomplish? I don't know. Divulging the identity of the kids. Well, what is that, you know, I guess probably increases audience, whoever the hell he is sure. or wherever the hell he can be found, right? Now, if we had the names and we were going to, would we put them on the air? Maybe. No. What, what would that accomplish? And then, of course, you got Miss Fudge, who's trying to say, well, they were the ones, uh, they were the evildoers, the, these beasts, these 16- and 17-year-old beasts, as in, <laughs> you silly beast. Yeah. What a fag. God. It's all Talking their fault. I beg your pardon? It's all their fault. Yeah, it's all the kids' fault, right. <clears throat> they wear those clothes, you know, those granimals. Andrew Gumble, yeah, they wear their uh, pants down to their kneecaps. Mm -hmm. How can anybody That's not get right. excited? Yeah. Well, there's Miss Foley. All right, we're going to be bringing you special reports this week on some of the worst humanitarian crises. Oh, my God, it's the uh, CNN International with this very stuffy British bitch. Well, speaking of the Brits, the British Independent, which is a great newspaper, Andrew Gumbel writes, Why is the U.S. gun culture in the news? And the headline on the story is, The big question, can America ever be weaned off its love affair with guns? No. No. Same old. Credit. Right. He says, This week's school shootings in Amish country in which five children died are just the latest and they seemingly... Never-ending string of spectacular mass murders to hit the headlines in the USA. Last week, a gunman in the Colorado Rockies burst into a schoolroom and killed a student before turning his weapon on himself. Seven years ago, we had the bloodbath at Columbine High School. We've had disgruntled ex-employees shooting up their former workplaces, shootings in fast food restaurants, and a parishioner in Fort Worth, Texas, shooting up his local church. Each time it happens, a panoply of reasons comes to the fore. Gun control activists blame the phenomenon largely, if not wholly, on easy access to firearms. Cultural conservatives like to blame Hollywood for its violent movies and video games. Other frequently identified causes are the prevalence of antidepressant prescriptions, the pe peculiar alienation of new white suburbs, and the warp effect of the media. There's no question that the gun culture, stemming back to the frontier spirit of the 19th century and justified at least by gun ownership advocates by the Second Amendment of the Constitution, plays a major role in perpetuating the high numbers of violent deaths. In the U.S., there are roughly 17,000 murders a year, 
of which about 15,000 are committed with firearms. By contrast, Britain, Australia, and Canada combined see fewer than 350 gun-related murders each year, combined. And it's not just about murder. The non-gun-related suicide rate in the U.S. is consistent with the rest of the developed world. Factor in firearms, and the rate is suddenly twice as high as the rest of the developed world. It's easy. Children are affected especially hard. An American youth is murdered with a firearm every four and a half hours on average, and an American youth commits suicide with a firearm every eight hours. It's worth remembering that many of the most spectacular mass murders of recent years are really suicides, with the perpetrators choosing to take a few other people out with them while they were at it. Gun control advocates argue they managed to carry out their murderous fantasies only because firearms give them the means to do so. Any adult with a clean criminal record can buy a gun in the U.S. with relative ease. Gun shops and dealers will conduct mandatory background checks introduced under the 1993 Brady Bill, named after the White House Press Secretary James Brady, who was hit and disabled during the assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan in 81. But dealers at gun shows, popular throughout the heartland and widely advertised here on WQAM, are exempt from the federal law, making it easy for criminals or children to lay their hands on whatever they want. The semi-automatic Tech 9 machine pistols used by Harris and Klebold at Columbine were bought at a Colorado gun show. Federal law, more generally, is subject to constant pressure from the National Rifle Association, the powerful gun ownership lobby group, which has the influence to run elected officials out of office if they dare to challenge its agenda. That explains why a nationwide ban on semi-automatic assault weapons introduced during the Clinton administration was allowed to expire on the eve of 2004 presidential election, despite the abiding fear of al-Qaeda sleeper cells possibly operating in the U.S. and planning another attack. Not only did John Kerry, the Democratic candidate, not feel able to use this as a campaign issue against President Bush, he felt obligated to tout his own gun-loving bona fides for fear of losing key swing states such as Pennsylvania. State by state, gun control laws vary widely. California is relatively strict. Colorado closed the gun show loophole in the wake of Columbine, and Oregon has followed suit. Seven states have assault weapons bans, and 19 have laws making it a crime for gun owners to leave weapons in places where they might fall into the hands of a child. Pennsylvania, with its hunting and shooting traditions, the movie Deer Hunter was set there, has one of the worst gun control regimes. The Brady campaign to prevent gun violence gave Pennsylvania a D-plus grade last year. Donald Sutherland, the Canadian-born actor, once pointed out it's almost as easy to buy a gun in Canada as it is in the U.S., yet the incidence of gun-related deaths in Canada is dramatically lower. He argued that both countries have a frontier spirit, only that the iconic figure of the Canadian West is the Mountie, a law officer, while the iconic figure of the American West is the outlaw, a cowboy. <laughs> Gangsters and crime syndicates have flourished in the U.S., and Hollywood has certainly done its bit to glamorize the empowerment of a man wielding a firearm. Like Luca Brasi, for example. Even the most ardent gun control advocates will acknowledge there is more going on than just access to deadly weaponry. Tom Mauser, or is that Mumser? Tom Mauser, who lost his son in the Columbine shootings, blames several other factors. He sees a latent violence in the culture, spanning everything from television shows to the uncompromising rhetoric of talk radio to the eruption of road rage. He also worries about alienation among young people, poor parental oversight, and inadequate communication between school authority figures and students, especially in a suburban high school such as Columbine. Park Dietz, perhaps America's foremost criminal profiler, believes that saturation media coverage of one mass murder will lead almost inevitably to another mass murder within a couple of weeks. He told The Independent recently, it's not that the news coverage made the person paranoid or armed or suicidally depressed, but you've got to imagine the small number of people sitting at home with guns on their lap and a hit list in their mind. They feel willing to die. When they watch the coverage of a school shooting or a workplace mass murder, it takes only one or two of them to say, that guy's just like me, and that's the solution to my problem, that's what I'm going to do tomorrow. The Amish country murders bear a disconcerting similarity to last week's shootings in Bailey, Colorado. In both cases, the gunman released the boys in the room and attacked the girls. Coincidence? Perhaps more a case of one high-profile event triggering another. 
Is there a hope for an end to America's gun violence? He says yes. With every high-profile mass murder, victims' advocates and gun control lobbyists gain more visibility and more influence. Someone eventually will make the link to homeland security. Why make it easy for al-Qaeda to acquire assault weapons? And yes, the numbers of American children who die in gun violence means sooner or later the madness will stop. But no, Congress is enthralled with the NRA and is too scared to act. The burst of reformist energy that followed Columbine has subsided, and the most recent mass murders have been greeted with resigned indifference. And the U.S. media is too addicted to its regular real-life horror show to want it to stop. Yeah, this is, uh, these are reality shows, right? Isn't that what the big deal is now? Sure. TV reality shows, baby. Shoot them up. Kill a few people. That's the American effing way. See, now, I read that one story. Now, I'm starting to do, the, you know, be an MF here and an MF there, and uh, mm-hmm. we'll go out and kill some people. That's right. Yeah, get that bleep ready, baby. Get it ready. Get the Joyce meter ready. Bitch. 27 past noon at 560 WQM. Of course, that, I don't know why I read those stories about gun control, because Gornish tells him, man, you might as well be farting into a windstorm. That's right. Farting into a tornado. You know, farting into a hurricane. Speaking of hurricanes, it is the 4th of October. we got over a month to go for hurricane season. So isn't it about time you did something smart and took the stress and worry out of last-minute hurricane preparations? The hurricane shutter outlet manufactures easy-to-use accordion shutters and now even provides extra installation for you, too, if you like. Call them at 954-237-7083. They feature roll-downs, accordions, and panels, too. Just like the good folks at Hurricane Shutter Outlet, custom make or even install those shutters for you. Call right now, 954-237-7083. Get on your way to top-notch protection. You'll never have to worry about it again. The Hurricane Shutter Outlet, family-owned and operated, licensed, insured, and Dave Broward in Palm Beach County approved. They stock all sizes of clear polycarbonate hurricane panels and aluminum panels, cut to your specs and ready for pickup or delivery, or like I said, if you like, they'll install them for you, too. The public and all contractors are welcome, major credit cards accepted, and if you mention my name, tell them that Ancient Neal sent you by, they'll give you 100 bucks off a minimum order of 350 square feet. Hurricane Shutter Outlet, call 954-237-7083, or just log on to their website, Hurricane Shutter Outlet. The biggest names, the best talent. This is Neil Rogers, Sports Radio 560, 2 a.m. America loves to watch boobs and butts and boinking. Two chicks who scream at you. That's all they seem to do. Shows become a runaway train wreck. Feel bad for Elizabeth Hasselbeck. I bet she wants to break her own damn neck. Nothing left for her to do. With the new light upon the view. Rosie took center stage. Joy is in a rage. It's like they're speaking in some foreign tongues. Cause they're yelling at the top of their lungs. Like savages whipping you with bamboo. Since they made them all debut. I just can't watch the view. Well, some of their guests look a little bit shell-shocked. Can't speak in a word. For example, when Betty White was on the show, she got so nervous she left behind a turd. It was a coffee clutch, but now it's a steel cage match. 
Yeah, we're so disgusted with it, we don't even watch it anymore. Did we ever watch it in the first place? No. Oh. Who the hell would watch that crap? Watch your shut-ins, I guess. Mm-hmm. Lonely shut-ins, the same broads that watch Oprah. No doubt. They get all their uh, information about the world from Oprah. And you wonder why we got tourists? Anyway, Bob Geiger, didn't I read an article about him a little while ago? Well, he's got a uh, blog, and he says, you know, I don't want to keep reinforcing this, but you've seen it. I didn't see it about the uh, Fox things identifying Foley as a Democrat. Right, I saw it this morning. Bob Geiger says, let's get one thing out of the way right up front. I believe that most thinking Americans understood long ago that Fox News is to journalism what the Republican Party is to ethics. In other words, the two just ain't related. As if we needed more proof that Fox might as well be a wholly owned subsidiary of the Republican Party. There they were last night in three separate video cutaways identifying disgraced Republican Congressman Mark Foley as a Democrat. And it's got a picture right here from the footage from the screen. And there's former Congressman Mark Foley, and it says D of Florida. On two segments of the O'Reilly Factor dealing with the Republican pedophile, Fox showed video footage of Foley with a banner reading, Former Congressman Mark Foley, DFL. They did this at least three different times, and I'm sure we'll expect everyone to believe that this could have been innocently uh, made it through the editors and fact-checkers who examine these things before they appear on the air. Yeah, right. I guess the only possible mitigating factor that Fox News can give today is that other than the fact that the show's host is indeed named Bill O'Reilly, the entire show is lies, so the chance of anyone believing that Foley is actually a Democrat are quite slim. That's not his real name either, is it? Who's that? Bill O'Reilly, so even that's a lie. McCockowitz? Yes. Well, the managing editor in most news organizations would have been calling for someone's head. Well, of course, uh, yeah, that's right. If your na- real name isn't what you use on the air, like, uh, hey, oh God. then the whole show is a bunch of lies. While the managing editor in most news organizations would have been calling for someone's head when this happened, the biggest argument at Fox headquarters today is undoubtedly over how big the responsible employee's bonus should be. Isn't that cute? Mm-hmm. I say give him a few thousand. About 30, man. 30,000. See, it's a subliminal thing. You know, they realize there are a lot of stupid people out there. So if they just put it on the screen, Democrat of Florida, people think, oh, gee, I didn't realize that. He's a Democrat. Right. No, he's just a... Uh, you fairy. Closet queen. Well, he's out of the closet now. His lawyer wants you to know that he's a gay man. <laughs> oh, oh, I bet you ain't feeling too gay these days. I don't know what he's feeling. Oh, if you look at that picture, it looks to me like he's feeling something. And what have I always told you about those wrestlers? Oh, no argument here. You didn't, didn't Josh tell us that he was a wrestler in uh, no, school no. or something? He said he had no, a... I had a friend who was uh, big into it. Well, I'd stay the hell away from him. Michael McCarthy, environmental editor of the Independent Rights Board. A lot of stuff from the Brit Independent. Thank God there's at least one or two good papers in the world. And most of them aren't in the USA. Eh? The Century of Drought. Now, I mentioned this to George before, and he just like, eh, we don't care. We have too much We're going to get here. flooded here. Yeah, like we care about droughts. Well, if it's a bunch of droughts one place, that means there are going to be gigantic floods elsewhere. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to mention any names. A third of the planet will be desert by the year 2100, say climate experts in the most dire warning yet of the effects of global warming. A third of the whole planet will be desert, and then they'll put in slot machines. They'll be like, you won't have to go far to go to Vegas. The hotel's here. That's right. Drought threatening the lives of millions will spread across half the land of the earth in the coming century because of global warming, according to new predictions from Britain's leading climate scientists, who certainly would not be allowed to say those things in the USA. They'd be lined up and uh, taken out for dinner. Extreme drought, which in which agriculture is, in effect, impossible, will affect about a third of the planet, according to a study from the Met Office Hadley Center for Climate Prediction and Research. 
And one of the, it's one of the most dire forecasts so far, the potential effects of rising temperatures around the world. Yet it may be an underestimate, the scientists involved said yesterday. The findings released at the Climate Clinic at the Conservative Party Conference in Bournemouth drew astonished and dismayed reactions from aid agencies and development specialists who fear that the poor of developing countries will be worst hit. That's the year 2100. That's like 94 years from now we'll all be dead. This is genuinely terrifying, said Andrew Pendleton of Christian Aid. It's a death sentence for many millions of people. It'll mean migration off the land at levels we haven't seen before and at levels poor countries cannot cope with. One of Britain's leading experts on the effects of climate change on the developing countries, Andrew Sims from the New Economics Foundation, said there is almost no aspect of life in the developing countries that these predictions don't undermine. The ability to grow food, the ability to have a safe sanitation system, the availability of water. For hundreds of millions of people from getting through the day is already a struggle. This is going to push them over a precipice. The findings represent the first time that the threat of increased drought from climate change has been quantified with a supercomputer climate model such as the one operated by the Hadley Center. Their impact is likely to even be greater because the findings may be an underestimate. The study did not include potential effects on drought from global warming-induced changes towards carbon cycle. In one unpublished Met Office study, when the carbon cycle effects are included, future drought is even worse. The results are regarded as most valid at the global level, but the clear implication is that the parts of the world already stricken by drought, such as Africa, will be the places where the projected increase will have the most severe effects. The study models how a measure of drought known as the Palmer Drought Severity Index is likely to increase global, uh, globally during the coming century with predicted changes in rainfall and heat around the world because of climate change. It shows the PDSI figure for moderate drought currently at 25% of the Earth's surface, rising to 50% by 2100. The figure for severe drought currently at about 88%, rising to 40%. The figure for extreme drought currently 3%, rising to about 30, man. 30% by 2100. And like I said, we'll all be dead. And it goes on and on and on about all the horrible things that are going to be happening. So why should we care, you know, about people's children and grandchildren and stuff like that, right? Right. Everybody, everybody always talks a good game. Oh, well, you know, what's the legacy we're going to leave for our children? Yeah, right. All you heteros out there making babies, man, it's really, it's tragic. Am I right? Absolutely. I mean, so Miss Foley absolutely. said, he said, let some of us fags have a chance at him. We'll treat him with tender love and care. Isn't that what he said? Kid gloves. <laughs> he said he'd treat the kid with gloves. Yeah. Rubber gloves. I'm surprised he didn't have the gloves on when he went to his uh, supercomputer there. Oh, there he is, laying on hands, or just laying on that uh, kid. He says, relax, Dennis, just teaching the kid to wrestle. Try the donuts with the sprinkles. Take a puke at that. We got 1,504 votes on the pool, and poor Joel Feinberg is eating donuts by the, by the fistful. The biggest name. By the, the box. Talent. This is Neil Rogers. Eat your guts out, program. I urge everyone to complain to this station. <laughs> 